Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. I've never actually done a live video before, but it's kind of the way things are going now. Um, the interstate is stopped because of, I guess, a bad wreck. And so I decided to come to the McDonald's at Love's on the Ford Avenue exit. And I waited in line to get my food. I had already done my mobile order so that, you know, people don't pay for my stuff because I just always like to pay for it myself but I'm on my way home from work um when I pull up to the window they hand me my receipt so I go to the second window to get my food and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and so the girl comes to the window and asks me what my order was I repeat my order and my coffee um, order and they asked me to pull up because my food's not ready. It's uh, an English muffin meal with a hash brown of coffee. And I mean, I hadn't eaten since uh, probably about, I mean, I've been up for a very long time, but I haven't eaten in a while. So I was kind of hungry and I'm still waiting and I'm still waiting and they asked me to pull up so I pull up forward and uh, a girl comes out with my coffee and just the coffee and she hands it to me and I have my window down and that's all she hands me is the coffee so I told her I said don't bother with the food because right now I'm too nervous to take it it doesn't matter how many hours I've been up It doesn't matter what I've done for anyone. Right now, I'm too nervous to take a meal from McDonald's because I can't see it being made. I don't know what's going on with people nowadays, but please, just give us a break. Please, just give us a break. I don't know how much more I can take. I've been in this for 15 years and I've never, ever had such anxiety about waiting for McDonald's drive through food. So just have a heart and if you see an officer, just tell them thank you. Because I don't hear thank you enough anymore. All I want is just my next couple days off to just be so chill. No uniform, no nothing. Just for a couple days. It'll get better. I know it will. This will all blow over. But hopefully it blows over sooner than later because I just want some McDonald's. I love you all. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 19th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. Overly happy trying to not just throw shit. That intro was a cop. 
Of course, it's happening everywhere. There are cops poisoned. They say it wasn't now because they, you know, once again, the media will do anything. There's a second soundbite I was going to play. Literally a woman who is talking about her husband and what he's going through, and the comments are, I hope your husband gets run over and crushed by a semi. I hope he dies. And in this case, a reporter reached out to him and wasn't hard enough. So then he got crushed and he went back and reached again. And this is all on the heels of when I go down to my little recording studio in my bunker, as I call it. I have a boombox I got. Been looking for a boombox forever when Junkin got me a boombox. Pretty fucking happy about it. Listen into ESPN talk about Juneteenth. Yeah. We got a section on that today. We are rolling out every stupid thing we can fucking roll out. People that, I don't know a single black person that knows what Juneteenth is. But the far, far left black people do. So now we're having states and, I mean, fucking businesses and TV networks. Juneteenth. It's an obscure holiday about when Texas found out slavery was over. So in the last two years, we've gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over a riot that most people, including black, didn't know about in Tulsa because we drug it up in fucking the Watchmen. And now we're talking about Juneteenth. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be a hard podcast. I'm just saying. It's just, the stupid won't stop. And the media won't let it stop. But I want to start with a moment of zen. And before I even start talking about this, this doesn't apply to black people only. Most of the extreme violence out there are white kids dressed in Antifa garb. But let's talk about privilege. All this is based on the assumption that there's systemic racists in our system and that everybody's a racist. So much so Don Lemon starting How Not to Be a Racist. We have a soundbite of How to Raise a Non-Racist Baby, which goes right along with liberal thinking because you've got a brainwash from Jump Street. But it's all based on this concept of privilege, that white people coming out of your mother's womb, you have a leg up over everybody because of slavery 400 years ago. Oh, I don't want to hear about equal uh, the rights and the Civil Rights Acts and quotas we have in college and everything we've done that most of our sports figures are African-American millionaires and most of our music figures are African-American millionaires. Shut your racist face. We're still talking about slavery, a la Juneteenth. But it's also what makes people... Ben Rozier. I don't know who he is. But I think it's pretty apropos. What is privilege? Privilege is wearing $200 sneakers when you never had a job. Privilege is wearing 300 Beats headphones while living on public assistance. Privilege is having a smartphone with a data plan which you receive no bill for. Privilege is living in public subsidized housing where you don't have a water bill where rising property tax and rents and energy costs has absolutely no effect on the amount of food you can put on your table. 
Because, oh, by the way, that's free, too. Privilege is the ability to go march against the protest against anything that triggers you without worrying about calling out of work and the consequences that accompany such behavior. Privilege is having as many children as you want, regardless of your employment status, and be able to send them off to daycare or school you don't pay for. Privilege is sending your school kids to school early and late so they're fed by the school program, all at no cost to you. Pay for the people who have to deal with rising taxes and costs. You know, us so-called privileged, the ones who pay while you take. Nashville just passed a budget with a 35% tax increase to pay for all this violence and programs they want to do so that black people won't burn down their cities and Antifa. All on the assumption that we've destroyed in every podcast that black people are killed more by cops. Yeah, you could take the percentage of the American public and do it, but you could then get crushed by the percentage of people committing crimes are African American, so it just gets, gets destroyed. If you take the percentage of violent crimes who are African American, and then the percentage of people shot by cops, and then the percentage of unarmed people shot by cops that happen to be African American, your whole fucking argument falls a fuck apart. Just falls apart. So before I get into it, I had a soundbite of just violence against cops. This is all shit that's happened over the last two weeks. And it'll be coupled with Don Lemon pretty much saying, it doesn't matter. Everything they wanted Trump to do, he's done. But this isn't about flagating yourself because you're a racist or the country's racist. This is all about an election. So, once again, I've been saying it to everybody I run into on Twitter. You can fucking do everything they ask. It won't matter during a fucking election season.
p.m., hundreds gather peacefully in downtown Dallas to protest the two recent fatal police shootings of black men. Some protesters even taking photos with Dallas PD, showing their solidarity. Then at 8.45, just a mile from City Hall, shots ring out. Officers scramble to secure the scene. Shots fired. Moving protesters out of harm's way. The shots grow louder. As at least two snipers fire on police from elevated positions. Patrick Cooper filming this video inside El Centro College, where one of the snipers appears to be shooting from above. This chilling video shows one of the gunmen taking aim at a police officer. He misses twice before firing the deadly shot. We got a guy with a long rifle. We don't know where the hell he's at. The Dallas police chief calling it an ambush against law enforcement. We believe that these suspects were positioning themselves in a way to triangulate on these officers from two different perches in garages and planned to injure and kill as many law enforcement officers as they could. Bystanders also caught in the carnage. And right as she started to run, she caught a bullet in the back of her right calf. She immediately jumped on top of one of her sons. Teresa Williams telling us that her sister, Shatamia Taylor, at the rally to protest peacefully with her four sons, was shot in the leg while trying to shield her boys. She's recovering in the hospital. So all she keeps saying is, I, I, my prayers go out for the families of the cops that have lost their lives. The intensive manhunt for the snipers paralyzing this city. Reports of possible bombs planted by the shooters causing panic. Three suspects now in custody. Seven hours after the first shots fired, the last remaining gunman shot dead by police. As morning breaks here, 11 officers shot, five killed, including 43-year-old officer Brent Thompson. The city's mayor calling the shooting heartbreaking. I ask everybody to focus on one thing right now, and that is our Dallas police officers their families, those that are deceased, those that are in the hospital, fighting for their lives. Let's all come together and support our police officers. This morning, county offices and many businesses downtown are closed as a precaution. One of the snipers had claimed that there were bombs planted downtown, but so far police are saying that no explosives have been found. George? Thank goodness for that. Okay, Philip, thanks very much. What started out as a quiet night turned into a struggle for his life for a Calverton Park police officer. It started on New Florissant around 2 a.m. on Wednesday when the officer noticed a car headed northbound driving more than 70 miles per hour. I thought it was like a misread at first because I usually don't get cars that fast. So I grabbed the handheld radar and I immediately turned my lights on. 
and I just been around to catch up to him. The red car, who we know now is driven by 43-year-old Macarios Kirkwood, pulls over and stops after jumping a curb. Um, at that point, I'm thinking DWI. Uh, with the speed he was going, the way he stopped, I was thinking DWI the whole way through. In the video, you see the officer approach the car. The officer says he asked Kirkwood for his driver's license and insurance. He gave him one and started rumbling around for the other. I'm like, kind of look around. I'm kind of still figuring out um, if he's drunk or high. I smell marijuana, so I'm asking him questions right now. A short time later, the officer tells me he instructed Kirkwood to get out of the car for a sobriety test. And that's when the unthinkable happened. So right here, I see the pocket knife, and I tell him to keep his hands up. You see him reach right for his pockets. So I give him the benefit of the doubt, then right there, he went for it again. What did he say? He's saying, I'm scared, I'm scared, um, something of that sort. But he's tensing up a whole lot. I just grabbed on, and he's going to stumble backwards. He says, I don't want to go to jail, I don't want to go to jail, something along that lines. The officer eventually got Kirkwood into a headlock, but it didn't slow him down. Right here is where he reached for my gun. I pushed his hand away with my left hand. I'm left-handed, so it's on the opposite side of the camera. And I had my hand on the gun, pushing it into the holster, and he's ripping at my hand. The officer says he finally put Kirkwood in handcuffs and hit his emergency call for backup. The assault lasts about two and a half minutes, but the officer tells me it felt like a lifetime. It was tough for the officer to watch the video, but Chief Vince Delia says it was even harder for him. Our unwritten rule is always make it home. Um, and in this case, he did so, and uh, that's the number one goal. Always make it home from your job. Deputy Shannon Mitchell stops a speeding motorist. He doesn't know that the driver, Daryl Wilson, is an ex-heavyweight prize fighter. Five-foot-seven Mitchell is not only overshadowed by half a foot, he's outweighed by 100 pounds. The deputy begins searching Wilson for weapons. Then, all hell breaks loose. attempted to push him back down on the car and he came up again and spun around on me. That's when I pulled out my pepper spray and I took a few steps back and sprayed him with pepper spray. As he's coming at me, the only thing he said to me was, you're going to need more than that. With no choice but to use deadly force, Mitchell draws his gun and fires. He misses. His second shot is a direct hit at point-blank range. The suspect takes a bullet to the abdomen. Yet incredibly, keeps fighting. I'm thinking, wow, I've already shot him once. You know, what is it going to take to stop him? Mitchell pulls the trigger for a third time, but the gun jams. The boxer wrenches the weapon from his hand, but it won't fire. 
he then comes at me again, starts striking me with the weapon. I was thinking to myself, this sucks. He's going to kill me. The brawl rages on for over a minute. The deputy breaks free. It's long enough for him to recover his firearm and radio. He hits Wilson with his pistol. When I was striking him with the firearm, it was like the pepper spray and the gunshot wound. It seemed to just make him matter. Finally, backup arrives. McKinney, Texas. Officer Russell May responds to an assault at an apartment complex. Get your hands up. I'll explain in a minute. Step on that car. Backup is just 40 seconds behind him. Turn around. 40 seconds too late. The driver flees while his buddy wails mercilessly on the officer. As May fights for his life, a good Samaritan rushes into the fray. The civilian helps hold the suspect down as May gasps for air. After what feels like an eternity, backup arrives. Keeping a safe distance gives you precious seconds to avoid instances like this one. The assailant has multiple warrants, and to avoid arrest, he beats the officer senseless while his daughter watches in horror. Just gonna get in the car. No, baby, I can't go to jail. With me now is Don Lemon, the host of CNN Tonight, and also the host of a new podcast called Silence Is Not An Option. And Don, I just interviewed Michael Bender, the reporter, who, it's also so lovely to see you, my friend, but I just interviewed the reporter who did this interview, and he said that the president was, um, he hadn't heard of Juneteenth, right? And he was asking people around him if they knew about it. And so he was giving off the impression that he didn't have people around him who knew. And it was actually a black Secret Service agent who told him what it was. I wonder what your reaction <laughs> is to the president having no idea what this is and surrounding himself with people who have no idea what this is and scheduling his rally in the middle of racial unrest on this day. Well, I laugh for two things. One, because it is funny. Uh, and two, because it is, it's laughable, right? And it's serious. The President of the United States should know what Juneteenth is, but this President doesn't know. And pretending that he, he did and that he made Juneteenth famous, everyone knows that that is a farce and that it's what he does on a daily basis. It is a lie. This President has, he doesn't know about history in general. So why would he know about something like Juneteenth when it relates to African Americans and the struggle that black people have had uh, in this country? He doesn't know. He didn't know who Frederick Douglass was. He thought Frederick Douglass uh, was still alive. So um, it is sad that we have a leader that knows so much, so, so little about so much. 
uh, in this country right now, especially when, when it comes to policing, when it comes to systemic racism that I understand, and I think you're probably going to talk about it, that he's saying, well, yeah. there is some systemic, you can't have some systemic racism. It's part of the system, which means there would be systemic racism. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that he knew nothing, pretended that he did, then turned to his, a black person or his black friend or someone he knew to find out the information and then took it as his own, which he does all the time. So you mean like it's darkly funny, right? Not funny, ha-ha. Not funny, I don't, ha-ha. I don't find well, it funny. It, it, I don't find it funny at all, Don. You know, I mean, I laugh like sort of out of uh, discomfort with the idea that we're even having to discuss that the president doesn't know what Juneteenth is uh, when his White I House laugh because and his it's a clarified joke, this to him. I laugh because it's 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 a joke that the the president has made a joke of a lot of, of himself, and yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I, I think yes, it's terrible that he doesn't know. But a lot of people, quite honestly, don't, didn't know. They may now what Juneteenth is and was. Um, they didn't know because it's it may not have been taught. And why not say I didn't know? Now I know. Not a big deal. But I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, it's laughable yeah. because he makes a joke out of himself. But uh, it's sad that he wouldn't know as a leader of the free world. And so you mentioned the systemic racism that the Michael Bender, the Wall Street Journal reporter who asked him about this. And so the question was, um, this is the president's quote response on was, I'd like to think there is not, but unfortunately there probably is some. I would also say it's very substantially less than it used to be. And, I mean, put this into context, right? He has all of these aides around him who are saying there is no systemic racism in the system, even as in his White House. I think this is what I find startling. He's there in a room, and he doesn't have anyone really in his White House who is black and can sort of clue him in on some of these things. Isn't that, isn't that sort of an example right there yeah. of systemic racism? Yeah, <laughs> you're so smart, Brianna. I'm so <laughs> Thank you, Don. I don't really have to say anything after after what you just said because yes, that there is an example, and all one has to do is look at the the makeup. Take a, just look at a picture of people who are in the White House, who are his senior advisors, who are his military leaders, the people who are in his ear, uh, who are in his inner circle every single day, and then there is in itself an example of systemic racism. One of his only advisors who is African-American, I spoke with Jerron uh, Smith the other day, who is in the White House. I would hope that Jerron, at some level, is trying to educate the president uh, about this. But I think it's tough when you have people around you who look like you, who only represent your interests, who get on television and say quite boldly, um, with no shame, that there is no, that there is no systemic racism in this country. First, first of all, I think the president should get a dictionary to look up what systemic means, and then he would realize that you can't say, well, I think there's some systemic racism and that it is better than before. It doesn't really work that way. Now, if he had said racism, it it is improving in some areas and and we need to work on it in other areas, then I would say, okay, but to say that there's some systemic racism, but that doesn't make any sense at all. You saw this news last hour, Don, that Facebook has taken down some Trump campaign ads, and this is the the quote for it, right? They said this, quote, violating their policy against organized hate, and that's because the image 
one of the images that was in this ad is one that the Anti-Defamation League, which, you know, you can go and look. They just have them all listed out. You can see. They say this is identical to a Nazi symbol. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, how did, how did that happen? Not that you know the answer to that, but how, did, how can that be explained away? Well, it goes back to your um, uh, quite adept answer about systemic racism <laughs> in, in that he doesn't realize, or the people around him, or the people who, who part of his campaign, or whoever this is who works uh, for the, the Trump team, they don't understand um, what they're putting out and how it may be offensive, or they're doing it on purpose. Because if you don't know what a Nazi symbol or a swastika and on and on, if you don't know what that represents, or even a Confederate flag, then you probably need some, some edu- you need to be educated about it. Um, and maybe you shouldn't be working for someone who is supposed to be the leader and representing and works for the American people. How does that happen? I think it happens because that's exactly what they want to put out. That's what they want to send out. And I think Facebook and many other social media sites have just gone along with it and have not called them out on it, not had uh, precautions or procedures in place, have not taken it down before, and now they're realizing what's happening in the country, um, how the country feels about this, how the American people feel about it, and they're saying all of a sudden, whoa, we need to take care of this. I don't think it's an accident. And Do you think we, his we campaign is purposely now. putting out an, a Nazi symbol? I think they're purposely putting out that symbol. I don't know if it's a wink and a nod, but yes, they're purposely putting it out. And if they are not smart enough to realize what it looks like or what it represents, then what does that say to you? I don't really have to answer that question. Yeah. Then they, they're doing exactly what they want to do. Wouldn't you, if you saw that symbol, Brianna, wouldn't you know when you say, hey, well, hmm, I don't know if we Can should be putting that out. It? I think that, yeah, of course they would. Yeah. Of course you would. Yeah. Don Lemon, hey, thank you so much, and I just want to plug your don't new forget podcast. about my about my podcast. Yeah, I want. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do. I I'll have a soundbite of the African American man who punched the ninety two year old woman in New York. Everybody's outraged. This is horrible. This is New York. He's been arrested a hundred times. But because everything's racist to these people, well, you know, we we go with well, we got we, we he only got arrested because he's black. Not that he's because he's a fucking horrible human being and should be locked up forever. I mean, this guy's got everything. It's just like the Atlanta guy. He beat up a kid. He's a career criminal. George Floyd, criminal, who's now a saint. I won't play it later, but they're actually saying he's a saint. People are getting baptized on the street corner. He died because George Floyd's a saint. And this week, people are upset because people keep showing videos. And this is long, but I want to get the sound bites up front. BLM actually stopping cars in California and stealing their shit. A woman getting stuffed and beaten into a box. A white girl getting beaten 
on a subway. A white girl getting beaten out in the fucking open area. BLM indoctrinating white kids. Statues, statues toppling. Healthcare workers leading, kneeling. And this is all over an election. So buttress with the very end. You'll hear a little break. And then you'll hear Bryant, Biden literally have his... Yeah, there's some fine people with the Confederate flag thing that somebody dug up and the media will ignore because, you know, we're still talking about Charlottesville. And there's a huge difference between black people smoking crack and white people doing cocaine. He said that recently. about the seen and unseen barriers you face every day. We need to recognize our privilege and practice humility, rather than assume that our experiences are everyone's experiences. We all need to try as best we can to walk in one another's shoes, to imagine what it would be like to sit our son or daughter down and have the talk about how carefully they need to act around police because the slightest wrong move could get them hurt or even killed. Vince, I'm going to have a problem with you. Y'all just thought that was stupid. Bitch-ass boy. Bitch-ass nigga. I'm sorry. I'm good. You wrote out that nigga bite. Yo. Take the baby out. <laughs> Take the baby out. Take the baby out. No, the baby's the reason why she's not getting me out. Take the baby. Get up! Damn, they really are scared of fighting. Oh! I would be in the same position with this. I'm not even mad at you, baby. I'm feeling like a fake news. This is the thing. I know people don't like Trump. I understand that. But let me tell you something. If I had to pick between him and Joe Biden, I'm not voting for Joe Biden. You want to see? You want to see a bunch of black people go to jail by the next four years? Put Joe Biden. Watch what happens. You want to see black men get killed substantially, like things like you've never seen before? Put Joe Biden and watch what happens. 
These Democrats, and I'm sorry to say this, I'm not trying to be racist, but they hate black people. These are the same people that he fought to keep slavery in. These are the same people who built the KKK. These are the same people who hated us from the beginning. The Republican Party is the party of the blacks. Blacks free, the Republican Party is the only party that the black people actually assisted in finding. But all of that history has been torn away. People say, oh, there was this big switch. There was never a big switch. The union, the union won because we had grown in the industrial area era. So we were able to get trains and get supplies back to our soldiers while the Confederate was still riding horses. They were not able to get supplies back fast enough, right? So what happened was once slavery was abolished in the South, the people in the South could no longer make their money from slaves. They had to move to the North to work in the industry to produce. And so the people in the North that already had established themselves in the industry moved to the South. And so that's where it was a transfer of people coming from the South to the North and people coming from the North to the South. There was never a big switch. So the same Democrats who hated black people from the beginning are the same ones who hate us now. And they use our cause. How did Black Lives Matter turn into something about LGBTQ? When blacks really don't support that. We're conservative about that. We're really not about that. Not only that, we don't support abortion. We're about working. This is the black culture. We ain't even about that. Not only that, we're not about feminism. No, we're not. Black women marry their husbands and respect their husbands. That's what we on. We're not on this, oh, I do what I want. We don't do that. That's not our community, and you and I understand. I know you understand what I'm saying. We don't do that. But yet these people are hijacking our movement, the Democratic Party, they're trying to hijack our stuff. No. Get them to get out of here. No, no, no. was one that Pat Moynihan, and he's a great guy. Remember, the, the crack epidemic came from the Bahamas. And we were told by medical doctors at the time that because it permeated the membrane of the brain more quickly, it was the crack you never come back. It was somehow fundamentally different than someone in a beautiful neighborhood like this sniffing a line of cocaine would get not automatic sentence for. This very day, Violent drug offenders will commit more than 100,000 crimes on this day alone. And the sad part is that we have, we have no more police in the streets of our major cities than we had 10 years ago. 
And what the president proposes won't help much. What he proposes is no increase over what the Congress has already approved last year. In a nutshell, the president's plan doesn't include enough police officers to catch the violent thugs, not enough prosecutors to convict them, not enough judges to sentence them, and not enough prison cells to put them away for a long time. That's why right now, six out of every ten criminals who are arrested on drug charges have their cases dropped. That's why we think the president should triple, triple the commitment that he's made tonight for police, prosecutors, and judges for our cities and our states. That's the guy they want to elect. That's the guy the media says is the only choice. And once again, before we get into all the individual stories, here's our media, the Daily Show going on. Why did the guy in Atlanta have to die? I cut that down to like two minutes of 15. Bakari Sellers defending Atlanta and Cuomo getting schooled. Dana Bash. It's a dog whistle to talk about American history. King Trump's a segregationist. And then just outright BLM love how great all of this violence is. De escalation techniques. You know, this is not um, rocket science. Uh, uh, yeah. You remember Dylan Roof, who killed nine people in in, in Mother Emanuel Church, armed and, and and more dangerous than than you could imagine. Um, somehow manages to get captured alive, and then they take him to Burger King, and he lives to stand trial. And yet, Rayshard Brooks uh, is dead, and and so it's it's hard to convince me um, that that there's not systemic racism in our policing. It's hard to convince me uh, that something terribly, terribly wrong did last Friday night. Well, you know what's crazy is, here we are. Another Monday. Another Monday in the middle of corona and in the middle of protests about police brutality. And yet, it's another Monday of another police brutality incident. Like another story that has people going, how long, how much, when is it enough? The story is out of Atlanta. Rayshard Brooks. And forgive me if I get any of the details wrong, but as far as I know, you've probably seen the video, you've read the story. Rayshard was in his car in a Wendy's drive-thru. He was drunk or tipsy or he had, had alcohol and he fell asleep. Fell asleep, people are driving around his car. And so somebody at the Wendy's called the cops. The cops arrive at Wendy's and, you know, they get Rashad out of the car. And they start talking to him for about 30 minutes. You know, asking him, is he drunk? Why is he driving? What's going on? I, I mean, it seems pretty standard. And the whole time throughout this video, you have human beings being human beings. You have Rashad, who's clearly inebriated, and he's talking to the cops. And you have the cops asking him the questions. And what was interesting about, for me about this video is, at, like, in the beginning, it seems like everything is going to be fine. The cops are talking to him like a person. They're not, being, they're not being aggro. They're not being disrespectful. They're not being mean or anything. He's being respectful. He's calling them sir. He's not, he's not cussing them out. He's, he's offering to, to walk. Everything is going well. Everything is going well. And then... In one moment, 
in just a few seconds, every part of that normal story turns into the abnormal ending that we've come to know as interactions with police and black people. Because the police try and arrest him. He, he resists and he, he wrestles with the police. In the scuffle, they try and tase him. While he's being tased, he grabs the taser, he gets up, he runs away. And I'm missing a few beats of the story because I, I, I don't want to take you through too much of it, but, but that's essentially what happens. Rashad runs away and the police chase him. As he's running, he shoots off the taser and one of the cops switches his weapons from a taser to a gun and shoots Rashad two or three times in the back and he's dead. And immediately everyone, everyone goes... You know, everyone goes to their battle stations. That's, that's what plagues me about these stories. Everyone just goes to their battle stations. You know, immediately people go, well, once again, another example of black people resisting the cops and being criminals and why are you driving drunk and why are you running away from the police and what? And then, of course, you have other people, you know, in their battle stations saying, oh, of course, another story of cops who immediately shoot a black man for just sleeping in his car. But like, it's messy. No one wants to admit that the thing is messy. It's f***ing messy. If this story didn't happen now, maybe we would be looking at it differently. But it's a messy story. It's not the perfect story. And in a weird way, it not being the perfect story means we should look at it in the most perfect way possible. We should try and break it down and understand how something like this comes to be. Because we don't always have video like this. We don't always have stories like this. And we don't even, we don't even always look at it like this. But let's just take a moment to talk about what happened. You have, you have a man who is sleeping in his car, right? A man who's sleeping in his car and he's drunk. Was he drunk driving? Let's say he is, right? So he's broken some law, a law not worth dying for. I think we can all agree on that. The police approach him. And even then I ask the question, why are armed police dealing with a man who's sleeping in his car? He posed no threat to anybody. No one at Wendy's felt afraid. Cars are driving around him. He's not stopping people from ordering food. So, so why are armed police there in the first place? That's the question I feel like. These are all the questions we... Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a sad, sad development that we're watching right now. The protests continuing. Uh, and we're, we're, trying, we're trying to be very, very precise in all of the news. 21 days. Uh, it continues. And there's more breaking news we're following this hour. Atlanta's mayor signing new orders on the police use of force following the fatal shooting of Richard Brooks Friday night, a death that has now been ruled a homicide. CNN's Gloria Borger and Bakari Sellers are joining us right now. Uh, Bakari is the author of a new book entitled My Vanishing Country, a memoir. Bakari, when you listen to the national conversation around the police killing of Richard Brooks, Friday night. What does it say to you about this moment we're all in right now? I mean, here we go again. And Wolf, to quote Fannie Lou Hamer, who I quote often, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I heard uh, Tim Scott, who was a good friend of mine and who I appreciate, and I'm glad he's in the room for police reform. And I heard how he said that uh, this one is not as clear. And, you know, I just disagree with Tim. I mean, it's another black man dead in the streets. And so this is as clear as you can you can get. I mean, he was murdered, period, point blank, period. I think the autopsy caught it homicide. And I watch people bend over backwards, and they're going to bend over backwards after this segment on, on social media, et cetera, and say, well, you know, he shouldn't have uh, struggled with the police. He shouldn't have been drinking while driving. He shouldn't have run. 
Uh, he even fired his the, the taser um, back at the police. Um, well, you know, Wolf, none of those are death penalty crimes. And so here we are again. And I just tell you how difficult this is because of George and, and now in Atlanta, you just think about these men who are fathers as we enter this Father's Day weekend. Um, and you have more children who are going to have to grow up without their uh, fathers. So this isn't just um, some some poor conservative talking point or anything else. This is real life for many black folk in this country. And again, we're here in this cycle and it's another Monday, another tragedy. Wolf. Certainly. And, and they have to do what they have to do to go home. And you have to look at it from their point of view. This is we what both he know he could have gone necessary. home if he hadn't fired at him and he'd still have a job if he hadn't fired well, we at him. We don't know what would have happened. We don't he know. He was running away. Steve. Where, what was going to happen? He was running away. Chris, he, what's he going to do when he runs away? What's he going to do? Is he, now we know what the criminal history is, but we didn't know that at the time. But could he carjack somebody? Could he be scared so much that he's going to kidnap somebody in another car? Is he going to hurt a civilian? There's a lot of things that come into play that you have to play out and go, I'm responsible for this individual that I was going to arrest. And he now has a weapon that I provided him because he took it from me. So I a have discharged to discharge taser. My job is not exactly the most dangerous thing that somebody can be handling around. If he had a knife, if he had a sharp stick, he'd be a lot more dangerous to people than just having the taser. And under the law, you have to believe either that he has something that he's going to seriously hurt somebody with or that he has committed a crime that makes him a danger to seriously injure somebody. Which of those boxes do they check here? Well, he has committed a crime. He's committed an ag assault upon two police officers. He's stolen an the item. The analysis from is about officer. what he did before the altercation with the police. You don't get to build in what happened in that moment with him as proof of his criminal behavior. That's not in no, the case law. You, uh, you do, because what he does from his actions causes what occurs in his death, not the previous action where he's they're all compliant. What he does when he's told he's under arrest, a lawful arrest, they go to put the handcuffs on him, a lawful arrest with detention, and he fights. He chooses he fights. to fight. He chooses that to fight. Causes, that causes all these things to then spiral. So you've got to take those into account. The, the first part is a whole different situation. whole different situation. Very, with cordial, very cordial conversation. I get you. It's all, it, it all changes break. once he resists. And then the analysis and will be, that, did the officers make the right choices under the law in this situation? Under the law, they did. All right, Stephen totally under the law. You know, Gloria, we might, uh, some, some folks out there might forget that, that we're still very much in the middle of a pandemic right now. But President Trump is boasting that he'll have a record-setting crowd uh, in his first political rally in months. Uh, that's coming up this coming weekend in Tulsa. Uh, how worrying is all of this? Well, I think it's very worrying for the people of Tulsa. Uh, for the elected officials of Tulsa who don't want to see a huge spike uh, in COVID cases there. Uh, this is a president who has tweeted about COVID shame. So, uh, and, and that implies, of course, that, you know, uh, don't shame us not to have rallies uh, because of COVID. And what he also said today, which was kind of stunning, he said, look, you know, we've never had an empty seat in our rallies, saying how excited he was about having this huge rally in the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic, you're supposed to have empty seats between you. You're supposed to wear masks, and that is not what the president wants to see. Yeah, he was very precise on that uh, earlier in the day. Look, there are, it's a question mark, but there are certain progressive impulses that are clearly there. The Supreme Court ruling is a result of decades of work. 
by the gay rights movement since the 1960s, which culminates in political leaders and justices changing their opinion of what the status quo is. Uh, and now we're seeing a movement that's also pushing the issue of institutional racism to the forefront of public discussion. And uh, neither of these are drawing small support. They have a lot of support in the population, which indicates to me uh, that this is not an aberration, uh, that we might be moving into a different kind of political period than we've lived through since the Reagan presidency. And you have, I know you write about this, this swinging of the pendulum in history, if you will, uh, the progressive movements, then sometimes you get a backlash, whether that's Wallace, whether that's Nixon, whether that's Reagan. Um, this president sometimes sounds like a Wallace or a Nixon in his rhetoric. Uh, it, it sort of is, is what we're seeing on the streets a reaction to him, or, or is it a bigger moment? And what will, we don't know what the reaction to it will be. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's a bigger moment. I think a lot of the issues on the streets have been brewing for a long time. Certainly the Black Lives Matter movement started before Trump was president, and, and these questions have really been on the table uh, for decades, not just a few years. But at the same time, having President Trump in office and having the kind of politics uh, that he stands for in, in Washington certainly accelerated uh, the movement that's been forming uh, and at the same time, the pandemic exposed a lot of the flaws in American society, such as the inequality that we have now lived with for a long time. And all this comes together through a video uh, that simply uh, of, of George Floyd's horrendous murder that uh, simply exploded the moment. He's reading from the prompter there yesterday, but that's a very different tone uh, than Tim Scott and the Republican senators who say, look, we need strong police forces, but we need police forces that have trust in the community. And it's our job to try to figure out how to bridge that divide. Yeah, you didn't hear Tim Scott or, or any of the Republicans in that press conference this morning talking about our nation's heritage, which historically has been a dog whistle. For, for racism. And that is the term and, and the phrase that the President of the United States used in the Rose Garden just yesterday, even as he was signing this executive order. Tone matters. But, but I think you raise an important point, which is as much as people say that they want to get things done, when you kind of peel it back, what the Democrats want is much more in line with their philosophy, which is federal mandate. And what Republicans want is much more in line with their philosophy, which is incentive but not a mandate and the question is whether they can find a way to thread that needle it is doable it has been done before on so many pieces of legislation but the, the will has to be there and even though things are so highly charged right now uh i'm not sure that will is that's the part that just hurts me all of this is people getting in line to bow down to an organization that just beat people Everywhere they're getting beaten. I mean, there's thousands of videos. The media sees it. They, they don't show it. And one of their... Oh, from AOC line. Name one non-trash aspect about this country. That's the people that are demanding all this. All the things we're about to talk about. That's the people... They hate this country. They demand change. Trump does an executive order, something Obama never did. 
instantaneously, it's not good enough. Chuck Schumer, while the president finally acknowledged the need for policing reform, one modest executive order will not make up for his years of inflammatory rhetoric. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Congressional Black Caucus simultaneously says, to fund the police is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in our life. Media not covering that shit. Media just fucking ignoring it. Even they say it's stupid. Nancy Pelosi, who we'll find out in a second, was full of shit with a Kenta cloth. Well, I think that I can't imagine that it wouldn't have a ban on chokeholds. Let's get reasonable. Chokehold is a lynching. It's like they're spinning to say anything and do anything to get this mob. Oh, please vote for us. Please vote for us. Lindsey Graham finally got off his fucking ass and said, what the fuck, Schumer? I won't play it, but it finally, because simultaneously, what are Republicans doing? They're bowing. They're so scared. So scared. And I can find only one positive soundbite, and it's by a truther, a person who literally fucking thought George Bush blew up the World Trade Center. Van Jones. The rest? No. We, we, we can't have it, which will take us to our first break. The negatives on the executive, followed by Van Jones positive. And we come in, this is allowed to be in our country. It's Tim Kaine. Because Democrats can say and do anything, and our media never goes crazy. And it shows how pandering all of this is. Yeah, it's Tim Kaine saying, we in America invented slavery. I guess those pyramids just don't exist. And joining me now is David Henderson. He's a civil rights attorney and former prosecutor. And Joe Estead, he is a former police officer in Richmond, Virginia, for us. Um, Joe, what kind of impact will this executive order actually have? Absolutely nothing. It will not do anything to correct police brutality, which is the real issue. You can't have a recommendation to fixing police. That's not going to work. The police, the police entities operate within their own culture. They've been doing it for many, many years. We need real legislations that's going to stop, that's going to punish. In my book, Police Brutality Matters, I gave recommendations. And if people in Congress really want to stop this police brutality issue, I'll be more than happy to volunteer my services. What we need to do is we need to understand the root of the problem. A lot of these recommendations a lot of departments already have that in policy. We could take Officer Pantaleo, who choked out Eric Gardner. There's policy that says you don't do that. But the problem is they're not being punished. They're not being held accountable when they violate policy. So so since the police department don't want to uh, hold them accountable, then we need legislation that's going to prosecute, that's going to convict officers when they don't follow procedures and don't follow policy. I drafted a whole list of recommendations that I know working from the inside out in the culture of policing that would just wipe away police brutality. We got to stop playing games and understand what the real issue is. David, what did you think about what you heard the president announce? 
I haven't had the chance to take a look at the executive order on paper yet, but based on what I heard, I am disappointed. I think it is a slap in the face of everyone who's been out protesting around the world for the past several weeks. I think it's a slap in the face of those who have lost their lives, whether we're talking about Minneapolis, Atlanta, or right here in Dallas, Texas. And I think it's a slap in the face of those who mourn the loved ones that they have lost. I base that on 10 years working daily with law enforcement. This executive order will not change anything. And right now, the public is asking for meaningful change. This is not it. And then what does it say, David, where, for instance, we had initial reporting that the president might include guidelines that would limit the use of chokeholds, and then we don't hear him talk about that. What does that signal? And look, I think there are a number of policies where we've heard President Trump, uh, even sometimes on foreign policy, he'll essentially have uh, a policy, and then he doesn't quite describe it the same way as he's messaging it. But what is the effect of there even perhaps being a discrepancy there? The effect is a complete lack of any meaningful change. In order to change the culture of policing in our country, we're going to have to change the way we assess police conduct. Right now, it always turns on what the officer believes is reasonable and not what is actually reasonable. I didn't hear any discussion about that at all, but I think that idea is really hard for people to understand sometimes, so I'd like to use a common sense example. There's a notorious story in my family of me kicking a soccer ball through a church window. When my mom showed up, she said, what happened? And I said, I didn't mean to. Her response was, you didn't mean to, but you should have known better. And if you look at qualified immunity and we put it in that language, I would have told my mom, I thought the way I kicked the soccer ball was reasonable. And my mom would have said, it doesn't matter. It wasn't actually reasonable. And qualified immunity prevents us from having that full discussion. As soon as a police officer says, I thought what I did was reasonable, even though someone's dead, the conversation stops. That's why we need measures that are going to actually hold officers accountable when they use excessive force. Can we talk, Joe, just to this idea of incentivizing? Basically, you know, that is not having negative consequences, but emphasizing the positive consequences for doing things correctly, but not as much the negative consequences for doing things incorrectly. And look, lives hang in the balance here. So what do you think about that? I think that's ineffective. It's not going to work. If you allow the police department to pretty much do what it's been doing, policing itself, and trying to improvise uh, uh, with good behavior, that, that's not that's not going to work. The police culture is always going to do exactly what it's going to do until we implement something that's going to say, you know what, if you don't follow a policy, you don't follow the training, we will hold you accountable. And holding you accountable means uh, uh, you commit a crime, you get prosecuted. You go to jail. You go to prison. All it takes is one officer like Officer Pantaleo who violated policy. You send a strong message. Look, we're not playing. We're not playing. You guys, we provide you training. We, we provide policy. We give you all these tools and measures to go out and serve a community. And when you violate it, there's repercussions from it. I guarantee you that will change the whole mindset of law enforcement. Yeah, and just a reminder, you mentioned Pantaleo. It took five years before he was even fired, so I just mm-hmm. want to remind people of that. David Henderson, Joe Estead, thank you so much to both of you for the conversation. Armed militia members arrested in New Mexico after shots ring out while protesting. Tonight, President Trump touting his executive order on police reform as calls across the country for racial justice enter their fourth week following the death of George Floyd. But the president's order stopping short of an outright ban on the use of chokeholds that many have called for. As part of this new credentialing process, chokeholds will be banned 
except if an officer's life is at risk. And I will say we've dealt with all of the various departments, and everybody said it's time. We have to do it. Up front now, the former police chief and deputy mayor of Detroit, Isaiah McKinnon, and former federal prosecutor and our senior legal analyst, Laura Coates. Thanks to both. And, Laura, so the president saying chokeholds should be banned except for when his words, an officer's life is at risk, which appears to me to be a very subjective measure. I mean, legally, when you add that to it, what does that actually do? Well, it doesn't change anything at all. I mean, the subjectivity is really the question that many people have about the amount of benefit of the doubt you give police officers. If it's already in the police officer's hands in terms of figuring out whether they are allowed to use a certain level of force, it's their judgment call. The, off the president's statements have not changed that judgment call. It still allows for that really big you know, caveat there that says if the officer essentially subjectively and reasonably believes that he or she is in danger, they can perform what has been banned by so many. It doesn't do much to actually elevate the conversation or change the dynamic. Of Joining us now, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Madam Speaker, is that what this EO was today, the bare minimum? Yes, it fell sadly and seriously short. Uh, one thing I did agree with the president is Congress should act. He said that, he alluded to that a number of times. Congress should do more. Yes, it would be easy to do more because he fell so short, meekly surrendering. Did you view it as, uh, I mean, it's hard to project onto Donald Trump any um, strategery, as my old boss might have said, but did you view it as, as an open conversation, or, did, or did, did the optics speak for themselves that he was flanked by a largely white male law enforcement crowd? I mean, is his position clear to you, or is there a compromise to be reached with him? Well, I hope there's a compromise to reach in the Congress of the United States. I'm more concerned about what Mitch McConnell said about our bill, the George P. Floyd Justice in Policing Act. He said it's not going anywhere in the Senate. We won't have any of that. We won't have any of what? Ending racial profiling. We won't have any of ending chokeholds. We won't have any of no-knock warrants. The list goes on and on. That is serious. How many more hundreds of thousands of people have to demonstrate in the streets to protest peacefully for, so, for, for justice for, uh, and policing? How many more people have to die from police brutality? And so for the leader of the Senate to say it's going nowhere, we won't even we don't want any of that is really disgraceful and really uh, ignores the concerns of the American people. We all know uh, we all know that we need uh, to have uh, guidelines, we need to have training, we need to have database, we need all of those things uh, but we also need to have some serious legislation to make sure it happens nationally. Nationally. I feel very, very disappointed by the dangerous statement made by the Republican leader of the Senate. Madam Speaker, you have, as of today, public opinion behind you and what you're talking about. You have 76% of Americans who see systemic racism as the problem. 
the president and at least Larry Kudlow and William Barr and other people around him don't agree on what the problem is. So, so I guess I'm asking where you take this majority of public support that is behind your views on this issue and, and, and those being articulated by, by Democrats and, and maybe a couple of Republicans, mostly privately at this point, and how you push forward with the change that the demonstrators are asking for with the president and his administration dug in around incrementalism? Well, first of all, I think what the president had today was a photo op. Uh, and he did say Congress should act. Uh, the leader of the Senate, who was yeah. there, the Republican leader of the Senate, said the House bill is going nowhere. We'll have none of that. You heard Senator Booker's response uh, to all of that. What we are proposing is something that is proposed by the Congressional Black Caucus in the hopper for a number of years, worked on for a long time, understanding the nature of the problem. And you know what? The American people understand it, too. And so here we have a place where we can work together. We've had our chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, Karen Bass. We're so proud of her uh, mm -hmm. having conversation and communication with the Fraternal Order of Police, uh, respecting uh, any uh, suggestions that they may have. So this isn't about drawing red lines in the sand. It's about making a big difference, taking a giant step forward and saying to the leader in the Senate, you call yourself the Grim Reaper, how aptly named you are when you see how many people <laughs> have died, how many people have died, how much lack of confidence there is in, in whether there is racial, systemic racism in our country, and clearly there is. Uh, but this is, we have an opportunity for America. This is a, a time of reckoning to say we're going to make a change that is real, not cosmetic, not a perfunctory, not a photo op, but legislation that is real. And it, and the people understand. And the people understand. So they have to know, as you've heard me say many times, Nicole, that President Lincoln said public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish almost anything with it, without it, practically nothing. Well, public sentiment is there. And if, if the Republicans in the Senate want to choose to ignore the public sentiment about justice and policing, they do so at their peril. I hope they don't. President's speech today in the Rose Garden started out as a plea for unity. But the president quickly turned to tough talk about law and order. The event was called for the president to sign an executive order the White House billed as an effort to address the issues raised by the protests across the country in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. But the president spent most of his remarks defending law enforcement. With pressure mounting to address excessive force by police departments, President Trump took the unusual step of surrounding himself with police officers today as he signed an executive order suggesting new standards for law enforcement. Mr. Trump's executive order creates a database to track officers with excessive force complaints, suggests banning chokeholds in most cases, and calls on departments to deploy social workers when responding to the homeless and mentally ill. But the order is merely a list of recommendations, not legal restrictions. And the president used his speech today less as a conversation about racial bias in policing and more as a rally supporting officers. 
The order directs police to adopt new standards for the use of force, including new restrictions on chokeholds. Launches a program to partner social workers with police on calls involving homelessness or mental health issues. And creates a national database to track officers with a record of excessive force complaints, aimed at preventing the rehiring of what the president called bad police officers. Still, the president is strongly defending police and blasting calls to defund them as radical and in a re-election year, the president using his time in the Rose Garden today to speak for some 25 minutes. Um, let's bring back into our conversation CNN's Van Jones and CNN's Dana Bash. Uh, Van, as we watch the scene in the Rose Garden here, there's the attorney general, members of Congress, members of law enforcement organizations, other allies of the administration on hand for this. Uh, you see Senator Tim Scott right there in the red tie to the left of your screen. He is absolutely critical to efforts up on Capitol Hill now to see if there will be additional federal police reform efforts. He's leading the Republican effort in the United State Senate. Uh, Van, we talked before the president's speech about some elements of this executive order that you think are very important. Is it fair to say that you found them to be wrapped in a speech uh, that you were not so welcoming of? Well, listen, I, I, uh, I think there are two things here. One is the speech and one is the executive order. Uh, the executive order is a good thing, uh, and mainly because you saw the support of law enforcement there. That gives you a sense of where the bottom is, where the floor is for reform, and that floor is higher than it has been. Uh, there is movement in the direction of, of a database for bad cops. We've never had a, da a federal database for bad cops. That's why these cops go all, all over the place doing bad stuff. Uh, the idea that you're going to have de-escalators now alongside cops, so you can talk people down and not shoot people down. The chokehold, that's common ground now between Pelosi and Trump. So you see good stuff there. I thought the speech, though, missed the opportunity. It started off with a lot of unity, and then it moved off into politics and a whole bunch of stuff that people are going to fight about, and then it kind of tried to come back to unity at the end. All that stuff is classic Trump. It will be gone tomorrow. But what will be in place, there is a new floor, a higher floor for Congress to now depart from that includes law enforcement support for, uh, for, for, for data, uh, for de-escalators, for better training, and against chokeholds. I think progress has been made, muddied by, I think, a speech uh, that was, you know, really, I think, you know, o over the line in a lot of ways if you're trying to go for unity. But I think the speech goes away over time. I think the progress that the people have made in getting even the Trump White House, the Republicans, and now law enforcement, along with Democrats, uh, to take steps forward is really powerful. I also uh, know about the meeting that happened uh, behind closed doors, I'd be happy to talk about. Uh, but I think that uh, the speech, I put a high rating, but the order is a step in the right direction.
need to ban racial and religious profiling. We need to hold police officers and police departments accountable for violent, reckless behavior. We need to promote better training and professional accreditation of police departments. Madam President, why do we demand that universities maintain accreditation to receive federal funds, but make no such demand of law enforcement agencies? And we need to do much more within the criminal justice system, but also within all of our systems, to dismantle the structures of racism that our federal, state, and local governments carefully erected and maintained over centuries. We know a little bit about this in Virginia. The first African Americans in into the English colonies came to Point Comfort, Virginia, in 1619. They were slaves. They'd been captured against their will. But they landed in colonies that didn't have slavery. There were no laws about slavery in the colonies at that time. The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fugitive slave laws. It was, we created it. And we created it and maintained it over centuries. And in, in my lifetime, we have finally stopped some of those practices, but we've never gone back to undo it. Stopping racist practices at year 350 of 400 years, but then taking no effort to dismantle them is not the same as truly combating racism. But I'm mindful of the challenge laid down by our young people. No more politics as usual. It's one thing to introduce a bill. We do that all the time here. So often the introduction of the bill is all that occurs, no committee hearing, no committee markup, no committee vote, no floor debate, no floor vote, no signature by a president, merely words on a page and a one-day story. And then possibly a blame game about who is at fault for nothing happening. That's been my biggest disappointment in seven and a half years in the Senate. Unlike my service at the state and local levels, where we took action and then engaged in healthy competition about who should get credit, 
In Congress, it's too often a story of inaction and then an unproductive competition over who should be blamed for nothing getting done. Politics as usual. I pray that the engaged activism of our citizens has brought us to a new moment that will compel us to act in ways large and small in accord with the equality ideal that we profess to believe. This bill is a test of our resolve. And I urge my colleagues to meet the moment so that we can look our young people in their faces and tell them that we truly heard them. And with that, Madam President, I yield the floor. The 1619 Project started at 1619. What the fuck? And nobody corrected that. Nobody. Because the left's in a feeding frenzy. They're going to do anything they can to try and lure black votes. And sadly, I'm starting to see more black people go, what the fuck, dude? You are the dangerous motherfuckers. Because as we go and start realizing there's a Juneteenth that most black people didn't know about, and then we start digging and finding quotes from Martin Luther King and Malcolm X about, it's the white liberal. And then you look at your Twitter account, and it's white people saying crazy shit. Not black people. And then there's the Picari Sellers and the Don Lemons and all those race hustlers like Al Sharpton. But it's mostly white people coming up with the crazy shit. Like... Dick Durbin talking to a black Republican literally saying his proposals are a token. Over 400 years, that's how long slavery it's been since slavery came to our shores and the racism that followed from it was part of it is still very much alive in America and seen in video after video. And these younger people are telling us once and for all, change it, grown-ups. You're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to have the authority. So what we say on the Democratic side is we cannot waste this historic moment, this singular opportunity. Let's not do something that is a token, (coughs) half-hearted approach. (coughs) Excuse me. Let's focus instead on making a change that will make a difference in the future of America. When I take a look at the bill that we put together the Justice and Policing Act. And again, I want to salute Senators Booker and Harris. So Tim Scott goes back, y'all still wearing those kinta cloths over there? And in their process of pandering for votes, and the media is not holding them accountable, because once again, they never do, they're fucking activists. African kinta cloths worn by Democrats in political stunt have roots in African slave trade. As it turns out, those Kenta Claws have roots in African slave trade. According to USA Today fact check, the day following the political stunt, Facebook user Dave Brandon claimed in a post that received thousands of shares that the scars are connected to African slave traders. Brandon wrote, so check this out. Kenta Cloth was worn by the Ashanti. It's made of silk, so the affluent wore it. The Ashanti were also known as slave owners and traders. Huh? The Ashanti, longtime ally, the Akawamu, were among the first ones to profit from the slave trade while the Europe, with the Europeans. The captive, captives were almost always prisoners of war, but they were not above selling the Akawamu man, I don't know how to say this shit, who offended the chief. They also 
kidnapped able-bodied men from other tribes and sold them in the coastal slave market. According to USA Today fact-checked, Brandon is correct. The Kenta cloth comes from the Ashante or Ashanti people of Ghana and U people of Ghana and Togo, according to USA Today. And this is why all of this just cracks me the fuck up. If, if you know anything about history, you know that it was Africans who captured Africans and sold Africans. It wasn't white people going and going to Africa and snatching up white people or black people. If you're going to go around and fucking call everybody racist, then you go on the Dixiecrats and Jim Crow and the lynchings. You have every grounds in the world for that. But slavery has been around since biblical times. And every race has been a slave. Tim Kaine, we need to stop religious profiling. Well, you know what? You guys are good with Christian prejudice, Jewish prejudice, and you get to say absurd things like, we invented slavery and wear these fucking scarves that the slave masters, the original slave masters, not white people, black people, or because none of this means anything. It doesn't mean anything. It is just it is just bullshit now. I mean, we're literally doing Juneteenth just to fucking spin some shit up. Northam. Fucking Northam. Blackface, coon man, North Northam. They bring him. MSNBC brings him on, and he makes. We need to elevate Juneteenth to a paid holiday because he's got to spin against his racism. One of the things that Governor Northam told me in our our, our exclusive, wide-ranging sit-down earlier today was that he views these Confederate statues as symbols of divisiveness. He says that they were intentionally erected as symbols of white supremacy and that he intends to use as much intention aimed at removing them. Now that is a fairly remarkable statement for any southern governor to make, especially one who just a year and a half ago withstood immense pressure to step down after that racist photo on his med school yearbook page emerged. But when he withstood that pressure to resign, he said that he would focus the rest of his term on pursuing a racial justice agenda. And a number of his supporters and detractors have been really surprised by the fact that he has done just that. What role do you think white people have to play in pursuing racial justice? I think white people need to listen. Uh, and I think they have recognized or are recognizing the pain that exists uh, because of the, the protest. I think they also realize that the burden of educating of making people aware in this country of our 400 years of history, that burden needs to shift from people of color to people that look like me. He said that one of the things he learned in his conversations with people after the blackface scandal is that he sort of acknowledged and fully realized that racism is systemic. That's, that's what he told me. And he says that because that is the case, it's incumbent upon him to create a system to dismantle it. That quantifiably proves this is all bullshit. This is all bullshit. If that guy can come on a TV show and talk about racism and how America is so fucking racist, 
This is a man that was caught in a KKK hood and blackface. His whole administration was fucked up. He said a live baby could be just let to die if the mother wants to. If his R, if he had an R behind his name, he would have been out of office ages ago. But he's on TV. He's a leader in the struggle for black people. And then we get on the crazy. A former SDG&E employee were fired after a stranger posted a picture of him on Twitter accusing him of making a white power symbol. He was cracking his knuckles. And then we find out Hispanic man loses job over white power hand gesture accusation. He was cracking his knuckles. Everybody's so scared they don't want nothing to do with it. This is an Antifa leader, Joseph Joe Alkoff. He's sitting in a photo from a month ago with Maxine Waters. Then they go after Aunt Jemima. Rest in peace to Aunt Jemima. The pancake and syrup brand founded in 1889 is now problematic. Then you find out Aunt Jemima was Nancy Green. She was an American success story. She was born into slavery in 1834 in Kentucky and became a wealthy superstar in advertising world. She was selected spokesman at the 1893 fair for the new pancake mix and was signed to a lifetime co- contract. And her grandson is fucking pissed off. Now you're serials racist. This is British. Kellogg's UK. Are you... As you are yet to reply to my email, Cocoa Pops and Rice Krispies have the same composition, except for the fact that CPs are brown and chocolate-flavored. So I was wondering why Rice Krispies have three white boys representing the brand, and Cocoa Pops has a monkey. Jesus fucking Christ. What? The fuck, Chuck? What the fuck? And that's just, I mean, we're talking, that's just a fucking tip of the iceberg on all the stupid things we're doing now with every TV show and everybody sending emails. We support black lives. We support Juneteenth. A holiday nobody knows anything about. It's kind of like Kwanzaa. Nobody knows anything about it. And all the while, Chaz is still there. They're still running guns out of the back of a fucking Tesla. My son, Zach in Tennessee, stay out of our autonomous zone, but send supplies and stuff and cookies. It's a picture of kids in a fort, a cardboard court. That's what this is. And the media won't cover it. It is off the fucking air. All they do is the peaceful stuff. So here's an article from local. All these people have to move because they can't live there. But MSNBC is still trying to do the peaceful shit. Yet during it, it's not peaceful. Power 7's Michael Spears is live for us tonight in Capitol Hill. And Michael, he said he's not alone. He's now staying in a hotel and said he's spoken with several other neighbors who are no longer sleeping here at night. He said one of the problems beyond safety concerns, Lindsay, is the fact that moving trucks can't even get into the area so people can fully get away. A front row view. I looked out my window and been watching the protests since the beginning of it. This neighbor, who did not want his face or name shown, said he hasn't just watched. I was protesting 
prior to the creation of Chaz or CHOP. He said the relief of no more tear gas and flashbangs from police has been replaced with new problems of living inside a self-declared autonomous zone. I'm mainly scared because, like, I know cops won't come. I know fire trucks can't come in. He said the unity here immediately after George Floyd's death hasn't felt the same and has struggled to find clear messaging from his new neighbors about their path moving forward. They don't see what's underlying there above the gloss of free speech and open platform. There's there's groups under there that are able to reign free in this, like, with no sense of law. And he said he's seen the downside of that and is no longer staying at his home because of the uncertainty. There is positives to the groups that are there, but there's a lot of antagonist groups lingering around. So trying to open this up as a one-way. The city is now meeting with protest reps to discuss a smaller footprint. Approved first responder. We're not willing to concede the station at this point, so we want to keep the station protected. Property owner Ron Amundsen was involved in those talks Sunday. It needs leadership and organization. He said he feels they're on borrowed time to address safety concerns and has also heard from worried business owners. Many businesses are uh, afraid to open. Now I don't know what I'm really like supporting. We have heard from people positioned at barricades here that they plan to occupy this area until demands for reform are met that have already led to some policy changes and reviews by the city. But as far as a timeline, which is what the city is at the table with some of the reps here and neighbors want to know, it is not clear any timeline on what this will look like moving forward. For now, we're live in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on Michael Spears, Cairo 7 News. Because you had a very peaceful uh, week here on these streets. So to give you an idea, this was a week ago today when the police, when the city chose to vacate this six-block area, including the East Precinct, their police station. It was then that you saw thousands and thousands of Seattle residents of all stripes descend, converge onto this area. This was sort of like the gathering place, the congregation point for people to exert their energy, their anger, their frustrations to come together. You saw black, uh, brown, white folks here, young, old, on these streets engaging in conversations. This also became much more organized over the weekend. I think it's important to note, Stephanie, that this was, it was not some hostile takeover. This was not a planned uh, venture among one organization. It's a lot of folks doing their part to put out a set of demands that they want to see the police force as well as the city take, not just on criminal justice issues, but also education, health care, uh, economic issues here. They want to see that change take place. And what you saw here over the weekend were thousands coming in to spread that message. Stephanie? That message of peace and community. Vaughn, thank you so much. It is so important to have you there showing us the real story. Uh, you know, this is a part of the conversation, Joshua, that we heard here in these streets is the extent to which it has been peaceful since Monday. After more than a week of clashes between the demonstrators and the police, now you've seen essentially almost like a street festival type atmosphere. A street festival type atmosphere. No. With a very it is not a street festival. With a very intentional purpose. It is not a street festival. With it is not a street festival. Do not say that. Please, Shame on not. you for saying that. Learn right now. It is not a street festival. Do you know our voices sound like it is not. Tear gas that police attacked us with. You have to understand yeah. some traumatizing things happened here. All of us are suffering from PTSD Joshua. in our own country. From our Do own better. country. Joshua, a lot it's for, not a street party. It, it, Vaughn, it's okay. To. Let her finish. Let her finish. Let her finish. Let her finish. One thing to listen to. It's not a street festival. Vaughn, wait, yeah, ask Joshua? him if I can ask him. Would you ask him if I can put a question to him since we mischaracterized? Could we, could, we, could we put a question to you here? Please. Yeah. Joshua. 
I hear him in terms of saying it's not a street. Would you just let him know, because we do have to move on, but would you just let him know yeah. that we hear him 100% when he says this is not a festival because we saw what happened in Seattle. We do have to keep going, and I, I want to just let him yes. know we are going to talk about this future of defunding the police, but just let him know that we hear him loud and clear. This is not a festival. This is a social movement. But Vaughn, thank you for giving yeah. him room to speak his mind. That's NBC's Vaughn Hilliard in Seattle. That conversation is going to continue there, and we will talk more about the future of what these zones are going to look like as our hour goes on. And you know it. Dude. Bro, I'm a peace and protest. No. I'm speaking my First Amendment rights. Bro. You have every right to be so here and to be, be filming. Security, be secure then. Listen. Well, I'm just filming. Are you going to listen to me no, or are you going to act like that? No, I'm telling part, you, y'all spread misinformation. You haven't even heard our report yet. Y'all part, you have, part of the problem, bro. We haven't even reported yet. Fox News, bro, is a Republican news. Anyway, we're getting ready to go Fuck on. That's y'all talking about, bro. I'm going to interrupt everything y'all trying to report. We've got two reporters up here talking about what's going on. We're just covering what you guys are doing. What I don't want is him to swear on TV. Fuck that shit. Y'all ain't part of this bro. I know, but you guys are being immature. Fuck Fox. Hey, Miranda. Uh, Miranda, we've got, what you're doing, bro. we've got we've got some thirteen fucks. You want to yeah. protest? Hey, let's no, walk bro, out. I'm protesting right now. Y'all not gonna get us in this space. Hey, boys, this Q thirteen fucks. Don't yeah. let them get that hey, false bro. info out here. Bro. They bro. try to make us bro. look bad, bro. Don't let them get a second of news. Fuck these guys, bro. Q thirteen fucks my ass. Fuck that yeah. shit. The fuck. Hey guys, it's the real news. It's the people they out here. They can say whatever they fuck want. Republicans. It's not a big deal. Fuck Donald Trump and fuck Fox News. Fuck Fox News, man. We We're out here, bitch. Nobody's saying you. Yeah. The hell? But keep rolling. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. No, they can do whatever they want. They're fine. 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 they are 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 Hey, get this on the news. Fuck Fox News. Y'all ain't finna get an inch of space. You ain't gonna be able to say shit while I'm next to you. Hell no. I'm using my voice. Fuck Fox News. 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 We follow you. I don't know where you They only film during the day, yet you get guys like Andy and Joe. Speaking with Fox News on Monday, NGO recalled this time spent in the Chaz, or now they call it CHOP, describing a place of two different personalities, one by day and one by night, a quasi-Jekyll and Hyde type situation. Though the CHOP appears relatively peaceful during the day, NGO said that a criminal element come out at night. Unfortunately, last night that was made very clear when one person on a microphone and a loudspeaker was able to sick a mob of probably 100 people chase down this business that was several blocks away. They just all descended on it. It was pure anarchy. They pushed up against the fence and all rushed in. It was, it could have been extremely violent. violent. Fortunately, it wasn't according to what I heard from the owner and staff. They had detained one of the comrades of his camp for alleged arson and theft. And because of all of that, all of his comrades came to help him. Police never came. This is what has been done to the Capitol neighborhood in Seattle by the Autonomous Zone. More videos. 
And then we have foreign people that are doing interviews with all these people. Hawk Newsom, chairman of BLM Greater New York Chapter. We prepare to stop these murders by any means necessary. Black Lives Matter leader declares war on police and group in training our people to defend our communities. The activist said BLM aims to develop a highly trained military arm to challenge police brutality. It's our obligation, it's our duty, and provide people with a way forward. We want the immediate end of government-sanctioned murder. Repair to stop these murders by any means necessary. Newsom, 43, an opposing 6-foot-6 inch who shades and smokes a thick cigar for a photo shoot, believes this group can lead a war on the police. Huge article. All of it in here is just horrible. And then the mayors, they're all down with it. Everything's good. Washington had the support of the mayor. Then, when they vandalized her home, they became domestic terrorists. Two groups made their way through downtown Olympia, some tanking and vandalizing businesses, while they worked their way towards home. Olympia Mayor Cheryl Shelby. Mayor Cheryl Shelby Olympia. Washington's upset BLM vandalized her house, and she had voice support for the protest. I'm really trying to process this. It's like domestic terrorism. It's unfair. Well... What did she expect? Once again, this is what these people are doing. I I literally sent an email or a text to my son. Dude, don't think these people won't kill you. You may be down, but you're not. Then you got James Wood. All of this is people that are part of the cause. And most of these sound bites are already played in the BLM violence. Quick, call a social worker. White girl getting beaten and stuffed. Stuffed. Wanted for assault. Do you know him? 6-12 at 3.23 p.m. And they show the pictures. There's another one. The 92-year-old person getting beat up by the guy. Quick call social worker. Progressive mayor supported Black Lives Matter gets house vandalized. Quick call a social worker. Albuquerque to send unarmed social workers, not police officers, to 911 calls. We're about to cover that in a second. Then for doing all this, somebody reported him. He got blocked for violating the, the, the fucking violence, showing true violence. And then they undid it again. Portland police, some demonstrators have locked the doors from the outside of the Justice Center, are lighting fires on the 2nd Avenue. they also tampering with the rolls-up doors of Justice Center on 2nd Avenue. This is a life safety issue. Remove the items now. Because they're not going in and doing anything. It's getting so crazy. I love this gal. Community actress blasts MSNBC hypocrisy on diversity of Trump presser. You know, the mainstream media is selling some major hypocrisy when even brainwashed Hollywood BLM supporters are calling them out for the white privilege. In response to ML, MSNBC's criticism, President Trump showcased a bunch of white men during his June 16th police reform executive. Yvette Nicole Brown slammed the cable news network for its own lack of diversity. Because they're no better. Her tweet, which is also just about all I've seen on MSNBC daily, just saying, been saying, you need to add anchors that look like the bodies dying in the street if you want proper context. Kyle Griffin, who lost his shit over Trump, retweeting a tweet that somebody had doctored a CNN fucking video and that was a whole thing last night it became a twitter moment trump retweets doctored video you know this shit's got out of control 
When Rolling Stones editor unloads on media, says the American left has lost its fucking mind. You know this shit's gotten out of control. Marvel Marvel Agenda, Avengers. We've heard your response to our recent posts and agree that now was not the appropriate time to share this content from our game. We apologize for being insensitive. Marvel deleted a post depicting Captain America because it's not the appropriate time for this. Here's the image. Because they don't want their shit burned down. Chelsea Handler and the rest are now sharing anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan speeches about how horrible the cops are, how racist America is. It's allowed to stand, even though he's a hate monger. Nobody even bats an eye, just like they didn't bat an eye when Hillary was with them. Obama was too. Then we have the New Mexico shooting. I'm going to play a soundbite. I'm not going to read. I'm just going to talk it through. And all charges have been dropped. So a militia goes to guard monuments because they want to tear it down. At the monument are a shitload of Antifa fuckers. And what people don't understand is they rig their skateboards to be weapons so they can hit you and knock you out. He gets run down and is getting the shit beat out of him. You hear him say, we're going to kill you, and he shoots him. He gets arrested, the media goes crazy, and then all of a sudden they drop it. Because now the videos are out, and everybody sees this bullshit. The left still says it's fucked up. The left still says, oh my god, he needs to go to jail. It's murder, blah, 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 blah. And then the charges are dropped. Because there's videos all over Twitter, and the media knows that, but they just ignore it. They literally show... These people have doctored and made a weapon out of their skateboard. Because you can't go in with weapons, but you can bring your skateboard in, and it's loaded down like a bag of fucking locks. A sock full of locks. You can just smack people in the face and kill them. There's one of a black female getting cold cocked, and this guy thinks he's so cool. You know, I'm going to say this all day, when it's getting out of control, when popular mechanics as scientists recommend the best way to topple statues. Should you happen to find yourself near a statue that you decide you no longer like, we ask the scientists for the best, safest way to bring it in to ground without anyone getting hurt. Except, of course, for the inanimate racist who's been dead for a century anyway. 
How to topple a statue using science. This is our media. Ben Boychuk, looting and civilized destruction done scientifically makes it so much better, doesn't it? Next, 97% of science agree we have to burn America to the ground. James Stout, historian of anti-fascism and sports. There you go. You know this shit's getting out of control when the bailout that all these celebs came up with to get all these peaceful protesters raises $30 million and only 1% of it actually goes to the rioters. There's no creative investigative reporting on this. The money probably went to Biden, you dickwads. This whole thing isn't about social justice. It's about getting Biden elected. And then you got Rick Wilson, who literally did the Domino's tweet that was digging up tweets, so everybody dug his up. Caleb Hole. Hey, Rick Wilson. Why did you delete this? Hi, Rick Wilson. Not sure if you realize, but your wife posted this on Instagram. May want to delete that one, too. He's literally rolling around with a Confederate fucking flag cooler. He'll still get brought on MSNBC and CNN. Nobody will find that wrong. And then we have the whole fucking girly or Gundy thing that we covered briefly. This is Tim Alberta from Politico. It's not about censorship or snowflakes. It's about self-awareness. You coach Big 12 football. Your job is to lead and develop young men, most of them black. They're living history right now, and you, their leader, think it's cool to get photographed wearing OAN, One American News gear. And no, this isn't cancel culture. I don't want Gundy fired. I want him to grow. The man's job depends on sitting inside black families' rooms and convincing parents that he cares about their son. It would help if he understood what this moment in history means to them. Tim Alberta again. The usual suspects of my timeline want to make this about something bigger, but it's not. Gundy's free to wear her own shirt. I'm free to call him a dumb and tone deaf. You're free to defend a conspiracy-fueled propaganda machine as a legitimate source of information. America, baby. Somebody says, today it's own, tomorrow it's Politico, and by the end of the week, his fucking ass was doing a mea culpa on TV for wearing a news shirt. It pushes conservative news, from what I can tell, because I never watched it. I knew the left said it was linked to the Kremlin or some shit. So I went on to Roku, signed up for a free trial for a week, and then deleted it after a day. It's just news, not carried like the left, where everything has six degrees of separation to Trump. And America's racist. But that became a thing. It was a Twitter moment. It was national news. I turned on my little radio right here. And Seahawks. Good choices there. Yeah. Little ESPN radio in the morning. ESPN was talking about it. How horrible it is to have a shirt from a news source they don't agree with. Do you remember the 1984 segment from the last podcast? Oh, we're living in 1984. 
But it doesn't matter. Because just like Northam, as we segue, Wapo and her behind Megan Kelly Blackface story has a history of outing random people. Josh Barrow. I cannot believe this got assigned and written. Jesse Single, a 3,000-word, two-byline investigation informing you that a woman you have never heard of who's not a public figure wore an offensive Halloween costume two years ago at a WAPO cartoonist party. Scott McMillan, a 56-year-old lawyer, tweeted that it's more vital to revive the economy than to save people who are not productive, like the elderly and firm. So I call called his parents. You actually ran and told him his parents because he had an opinion you didn't like? The argument about whether the woman at the party suffered already enough is beside the point. The post job isn't to ensure that individuals learn lessons or suffer the right consequences. It's to report news. This guy found out that a girl dressed up like Megan McCain, I'm sorry, Megan Kelly, in blackface. Here's the story. At a 2018 party at the home of a Washington Post editorial cartoonist, in addition to several Ruth Bader Ginsburg, someone dressed as a Mueller witch hunt, and post columnist Danny Milbake came and just confirmed Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh complete with a beer-dispensing device on his head. A guest named Lexi Gruber wore a scary Beetlejuice getup and called herself dead. A middle-aged white woman named Sue Schaefer wore a conservative business suit and a name tag that said, Hello, my name's Megan Kelly. Her face was almost entirely black with makeup. Kelly, then an NBC morning show host, had just that week caused a stir by defending the use of blackface by white people. When I was a kid, that was okay as long as you were dressed up as, like, a character. So what happened is a woman at a party, Lexi Gruber, remembered this incident and started complaining about it because it was at the homes of Tolls, the newspaper got involved. Elizabeth Nolan Brown. If you're an adult who is physically and emotionally threatened by an offensive Halloween costume and still scarred by it two years later, get Help. And now she's fucked. She's the white girl in Central Park. Her life's ruined. One of the cops in Atlanta, his wife got fired. We can't have you working here anymore. It's such wrongful termination. But once again, I said it. The moment Amazon Warehouse got burned down, everything they wanted, they were going to get. And today we're celebrating Juneteenth. Yeah. June fucking teeth. It is getting so bad, we have... I'm just going to do them one at a time. Here... I have watched Biden on TV whenever he does a speech say whatever the fuck he wants, including the memorial where he attacked Trump. This is Andrea Mitchell cutting off Trump during the executive order because it sounded like a campaign speech. Americans can achieve anything. 
And as we're watching the president, he started out talking about police reform in an executive order that he is going to be signing, but he has now launched into what would be a campaign rally speech. Unfortunately, as soon as he launched into that, I realized his remarks were going to be largely um, political remarks. If you consider that speech he just gave, not only was it full of misinformation, he literally, over the lives and the bodies of black people that he opened his announcement with, actually started talking about the stock market. What you heard there was a campaign speech. Even listening to this as a campaign speech, there was no connection from the beginning. That's news. That's the peacock. Then we get the non-racist baby. And let me see. Do I have another lemon comment? I don't think so. I think I deleted it. I had two lemon sound bites, and I think I got rid of one of them because I just can't do the dude anymore. So here's the non-racist bo- baby. Remember, this lady had um, gave a total pass to Ilian Omar and used to be on MSNBC. As more Americans become aware of the painful realities of racism, a new book aims to help the next generation understand it. Author and CBS News contributor, that's Ibram X. Kendi, has a four-year-old little girl of his own, and he says it is never too soon to start having these conversations here, here. That's why he wrote a new book. It's called Anti-Racist Baby. Our national correspondent, Jerika Duncan, has read the book. Jerika, I know you have a young daughter, too. I'm excited to hear about this book. What's it all about? You know, it really comes down to, Gail, introducing children to anti-racist ideas in a fun and exciting way. For the last several years. The ask is is building an anti-racist America. Ibram X. Kendi has been schooling a nation on how to be an anti-racist, the title of his book published in 2019. Recently, he's taking on a new audience, children, through a new book called Anti-Racist Baby. Where did that idea come from? Obviously, you have a, a four-year-old daughter. I mean, it, it, it came from a desire to produce a book that I could read to her that can sort of serve as a springboard for us to have conversations about race and racism and, and about how to be anti-racist. The earlier we teach them how to be anti-racist, the better. Then, uh, do I need to say any more? Why do I have to worry about what my baby's saying? Kids, you put them in a fucking sandbox. They don't give the fucking kids a fucking Martian. They already aren't racist. So what are you talking about? Then we switch gears and we go into COVID. Um, the first and most important is fucky. This is what fucky, who I'm saying fucky on purpose, said this week. Now getting back to your first question which was what about months or so or two or three ago when people were saying you don't really need to wear a mask. Well, the reason for that is that we were concerned, the public health community, and many people were saying this, were concerned that it was at a time when personal protective equipment, including the N95 masks and the surgical masks, were in very short supply. And we wanted to make sure that the people, namely the healthcare workers, who are brave enough to put themselves in harm ways to take care of people who you know were infected with the coronavirus and the danger of them getting infected. We did not want them to be without the equipment 
that they needed. So basically they lied. They said you don't need a mask, but you do need a mask now because we were worried about PPE because we went over the top because we were trying to stick it to Trump that we didn't have enough PPE, even though Obama was told to prepare for it, and he didn't do anything after H1N1, which, by the way, infected 61 million Americans, and nobody seems to fucking care about that. Now, simultaneously, CBS brought on, and this Paula Zahn lady literally was jerking the fuck off, and not once did we hear anything about grandma in one word can you describe the past 100 days hell can i say that (laughs) yeah you can i think that's fair what still keeps you up at night you've been commended for your clear and your calm leadership people from all over the country and the world have tuned into your press conferences your statewide approval rating a career high 84 percent you came in second only to president obama as the most trusted democratic leader in america how do you intend on spending that political capital that you've earned if you had to give president trump a grade on how he's handled this pandemic what would you give him what grade would you give yourself you've said that you have no political aspirations beyond the job you're in right now right a lot of people are asking why why not think about something grander bigger presidential would you accept a cabinet position no. in a biden administration no. that was a quick no nope. <laughs> why not i know that you've been portrayed as some sort of a homecoming king of this crisis and a headline from jezebel help i think i'm in love with andrew cuomo the new york post dubbed you the new love gov chelsea handler wrote you a love letter essay in vogue entitled dear andrew cuomo i want to be your first lady your reaction to all that, your daughter's reaction to all of that? When are you going to hug your mom again? It's a very powerful interview, and he is no holds barred. He says exactly what he's thinking. As you know, that's his style. Well, you can see that. <laughs> you ask the tough questions. I tell you that much as well. In our This Is America, I have another shot chaser of the COVID fucking hypocrisy. Because, you know, now it's there's going to be a... Rally. We can't have that rally. Trump can't, Trump can't, can't have his rally. People can't see that a million motherfucking people signed up for a fucking rally. And Biden can maybe get a dozen in every picture I see of his rallies. Later on in the week, with somebody actually had some intestinal fucking or intellectual honesty, he said it's just a shiny object. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, really? Okay. And then last but not least, we go off to our last break, and we come into Military Corner today. Probably should have said that up front. A short college, and the COVID craziness in Atlanta on the back end. Supreme Court ruled yesterday that a sitting president, is he cannot overturn an executive order of the pre in the ruling on DACA. Now, that has never been precedence. That is not law. That is activism, and it's looking so much just like gay marriage. Well, we think that's where the country is. They want DACA. So, Lou Dobbs, you got fucking... Cromo losing his shit because somebody fucking said illegal alien. And basically it's exactly what I said 
a couple podcasts ago. We are in post-truth, man. Facts don't matter. The left has its set of laws. And then everybody else, go fuck yourself. We're not going to actually follow laws. We're not going to follow federal laws. We're going to do whatever the fascist left wants. And right now, they want everything Trump does to be erased. Do not worry. In 2021, because it's probably going to be Biden, the moment he starts overdoing goddamn uh, fucking executive orders and somebody sues it, this Supreme Court will not say, oh, no, you can't do that. That will no longer be a a legal ruling because, you know, we don't care about the law. And remember, this is a majority conservative Supreme Court. The left has said it's against the fucking Constitution for a president to bring in all these people, and they got fucking RGB in a bubble trying to keep her fucking alive because they don't want him to get another Supreme Court justice. See on the other side. Member of the 2020 Trump Advisory Council, She's also suing California to stop millions of ballots being sent to inactive voters uh, and doing other things that I think could come under the heading of the Lord's work. Harmie, great to have you with us. Uh, let's start with how is uh, uh, this vote-by-mail nonsense going? Are the Dems going to win on this? Are they going to be harvesting ballots and, uh, and doing all sorts of shoddy, sinister things? Well, yes and no, Lou. Uh, as a result of the lawsuit that we filed in California, we want a partial victory today in that the state of California, instead of having this done by the governor's order, has passed a law uh, that really defines it. So, you know, that's part of the issue. But the other part of the issue, as you said, is ballot harvesting. And uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to change that, at least in California. So it's really important that Republicans protect these interests by voting in Republicans in other states so that this disease we have in California, ballot harvesting and ballot box stuffing, doesn't happen there. uh, Did I just hear hear you say that California is lost? Uh, It's beyond uh, even the idea of integrity, let alone the practice of it at the polls? Well, in in our lawsuit, we're going to be continuing to proceed there on the issue of the fact that the state has not cleaned up its roles. There are ballots potentially being mailed to people who are dead, who have moved, who are ineligible to vote. So, So that is still a live issue. But And that is still something that, frankly, the United States Department of Justice really could and should step in on. But uh, in terms of the ballot harvesting, that's not something that we're going to be able to roll back, unfortunately, Lou. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. It's also unfortunate in New Jersey. It's unfortunate in New York. It's unfortunate in state after state. Uh, The Republicans are going to get rolled in November. Is that what you're saying? We're going to get rolled. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Uh, I think that we we are stepping up. I know. Let me rephrase it. Let me add. Let me add an ambiguous. Let me add uh, then some nuance. It looks like we're going to get rolled. To me, am I wrong? Uh, I think in blue states, the deck is stacked against us, and it already was, Lou. So I don't think we can plan on President Trump sweeping New York, New Jersey, California. The real battleground is going to be in congressional races and in Senate races in those blue states. And there, 
we have to keep fighting. Michigan is a Michigan is a challenge. So Michigan is going forward with mailing uh, requests for ballots. So it's not universal vote by mail like California, but they are mailing applications to people. I don't think that's as big a deal as actually sending them the ballots. People can vote by mail in those states. It's already legal to do that. So the question is, is the state and is the DOJ, by the way, going to enforce the obligation to have clean rolls? If there are clean rolls, one person, one vote, no dead people, no multiple votes, I think we're in a much better situation to have an honest vote where we don't have that. And that's the case in many states, California, Michigan and others, then we need to do a better job. But like I said, we do have a Department of the Justice that is supposed to go in and help with those issues. And it frankly hasn't brought those cases for many years. Very quickly, uh, as we wrap up here, there's so much we could talk about uh, in the law and politics. Uh, DACA today, the ruling by the Supreme Court, it looks to me like John Roberts has lost his mind. Uh, that's some yeah. of the most tortured reasoning I've ever seen by a chief justice. It looks like his uh, the margin uh, for his uh, intellectual capacity diminishes each time he goes uh, with uh, the uh, the liberals. I don't think it's intellectual capacity, Lou. I think it's worse than that. I think it is results-oriented jurisprudence, which is really bad no matter who is doing it. And we obviously began to see that with the Obamacare pseudo-tax ruling that he had and then so many others after that. He really cares about being liked more than being right. And so his ruling today made absolutely no sense. It is a disaster. It is fractured. It's hard to tell what's the majority ruling and what isn't. And it's all over the place. And I think, as you pointed out earlier, Justice Thomas really had the best word on this. And we have allowed an administrative state to grow up in this country. And this is what we are reaping from that. It is that bureaucrats rule the day, judges make up the law, and the rule of law is thrown out the window. So that is why we need four more years of President Trump. That's one of the reasons of many. Armie Dillon, great to see you. Thanks so much. Come back soon. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Um, let me ask you something. Do you believe that dreamers are Americans? Uh, no, they're illegal aliens. And that's the problem. And that's the problem. And that's, well, that's why that's, well, you're that, not going to get a DACA stands deal. for deferred action. Yeah. DACA yeah. stands for deferred yeah. action. The action deferred is deportation. Yeah, you I know. And Americans. you know why they deferred it, I'm just it, being a lawyer here. I, no, you're not being a lawyer. You're not being a lawyer. Because yes, political no, leverage. Because equity, political leverage. No, but here, Barack Obama and the Democrats have been using no, these no, 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 no. Yeah, and, and Otherwise, why? they would have solved and, the problem why can, when they had the vote. Why did they use it? Because it's a question of humanity. It's not about the law. It's about humanity. And if using you want to use the law, remember this humanity? line, Professor? Equity abhors a forfeiture. These people have been here their entire lives. They go to school. They have jobs. They pay taxes. They've never known any other country. And you're going to say they're not Americans because they're American in every way except something they had nothing to do with, Chris, that's which is why, how they came into the that's country. That's why everybody's willing to come to the table. That's why the president is willing to come to the table. You just called them illegal aliens. Too. That's why you're not, not getting it done. But they are, I, I did that. That was, because that's what they are. You asked me, and that's the answer it's to the question. It's not what they are. I, the, the entire court. They are Americans in every way. They're not just some legal term that is pejorative no, and try to make them another. America. They're just like you and they me. They grew up in America. They grew up in America, but the the whole legal issue here is that they are not, in fact, this is about American politics. Citizens. Like that's you said before, it's not case. about the law. It's never yes, been about the law. It's about right. doing the right thing. And if the president that's wants right. to, and it started I will cover all the way back. It, I'll cover it every day. If he comes for DACA alone, Ken, this is what I'll say. 
You are welcome on here all the time. You know that. I, I love having you on the show. I if, appreciate if that. If they're going to do DACA, and that's what he wants to do, and that's the proposal, you come on, I'll give you 20 minutes to make your case on what you guys want to do on DACA and why Congress... Tonight, the Supreme Court ruling on the Dreamers blocking President Trump's plan to end the program that protects nearly 650,000 young immigrants who came to America as children, protecting them from being deported. Chief Justice John Roberts joining the court's more liberal justices in the 5-4 decision, saying the president has the right to dismantle the program, but that the administration failed to provide, quote, a reasoned explanation for its action. On the steps of the Supreme Court today, there were celebrations, banners saying America is home. It was a blow to the president. Ending DACA was a top campaign promise, and it was the second time this week the high court has ruled against him. We are going to begin tonight with a surprising Supreme Court ruling against the Trump administration, one that has wide-ranging implications for nearly 650,000 young immigrants known as Dreamers. In a major decision, the court stopped President Trump's move to end DACA. There's a lot of news to get to tonight, and our team of correspondents is covering it all. CBS's Jan Crawford is going to lead us off tonight from the Supreme Court. Jan? Well, Nora, it was another loss for the president in this newly conservative court. Today's ruling was narrow, but for DACA recipients, it was momentous. Good evening, everyone. A stunning blow to President Trump today and a victory for undocumented immigrants known as Dreamers. The U.S. Supreme Court blocking the president from shutting down the program that has shielded hundreds of thousands of young people brought here as children from deportation. It's a second court ruling this week to be celebrated on the left and brought a sharp response from the president. Pete Williams has details. It's the second surprising ruling this week from a conservative Supreme Court, a big blow to President Trump, and a huge victory for young people in the DACA Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. This story, surprisingly, oh, wait a minute, no, it's not surprisingly, because we have a transgender genocide, black people are killed like 80 times more than white people, I mean, cops are just lynching everybody everywhere, so if you actually put this story out into the press, well, that takes away from them, we don't want them to burn down our station. Man found dead in stairwell at VA hospital campus a month after he was reported missing. Where's the outrage? There is none. A 62-year-old man who had been missing for a month was found dead in a stairwell on a campus at Bedford Veteran Hospital wearing the same clothes as as he went out unaccounted for. The man last been seen at the facility on May 8th, reported missing on May 13th. He had been there for a while.
But, you know, fuck vets. They're white. Oh, wait a minute. No, they're not, because your other argument is only black people die in war. U.S. pilot killed in fighter jet crash named they don't know why. Northern England, First Lieutenant Kenneth Allen, 27. It was a routine training accident. It's horrible. God be with his family. First Army unit gets new squad-designated marksman rifle. Soldier of the 3rd Infantry Division this month became the first combat troops to receive the new M110A1 squad-designated marksman rifle. Weapon officially filled the new semi-automatic 7.62 by 51 millimeter STMR to soldiers from the 1st Armored Brigade Combat Team at Fort Stewart, Georgia in early June, according to a service announcement. The Army adopted the variant of the Heckler & Koch G28 HK417 as part of an effort to make infantry squads more lethal at longer range ahead of the service-planned fielding of the new 6.8 millimeter next-generation squad weapon system in 2023. It's effective pretty good from three to 600, which is what you need, because you really can only go out to 300 you know, good marksman, decent accuracy, but after that, the M4, just the carbine doesn't have any kick. Sikorsky Boeing proposed Blackhawk replacement reaches new speed milestone. The SB1 reached 205 knots. Scorsese Boeing team announced today that the experimental helicopter prototype competing to replace the Army's UH-60 has completed a flight at nearly 205 knots or 236 miles per hour and are just months away from exceeding 250 knots, nearly 290 miles per hour. The SB-1 Defiant prototype is currently competing against the V-28, V-280 Valor prototype <clears throat> developed by Textron Inc. and Bell. Um, that competition is part of the larger future vertical lift endeavor to equip the Army with faster, longer-range helicopters beginning in 2030. We're really proud of this milestone that our team has achieved. Exceeding 200 knocks is significant also because it's beyond any conventional helicopter speed. Uh, Sikorsky, which owned by Lockheed Martin Corp. and Boeing Company, built the Defiant after the Army awarded the team a contract in 2014 as part of the joint multi-role technology, and we've already covered all that. So it's pretty interesting. When when, when you break it down, this guy, it's, wow, I did not know this, actually. When I started as an Army aviator in the old Kiowas and Cobras, you were flying at 100 knots. Then we graduated to Blackhawks and Apaches. It's 130 to 140. This is 205, and it's about to be 250. Hmm. That's crazy. I don't have a bumper for college, but I wanted to cover some college stories. Because don't think while all this college campus craziness spilled out onto your street as they burned your city down. They weren't still at it. Oxford University to decolonize math and science degrees, give more lenient gradings to those affected by Black Lives Matter. What? Oxford University has revealed plans to decolonize its math and science degrees and will allow students of any subject who have been affected by BLM furor to seek lenient markings. Did I not say it? 
We're about to go into African Americans and gay people get one grade. You cis-normative motherfucking white people, go fuck yourself. Anti-social justice replies, I remember people years ago claiming the insanity in the social scientists sciences wouldn't be able to enter the hard sciences or the commercial world. What a disaster. Another, this will only devalue the degree and their standing what's left of academia. It's true. It goes back to what we covered a couple months ago. You do these quotas, these kids can't even pass the fucking bar. It's not because they're black. It's not because they're underprivileged. They didn't get the schooling at the local level because as all these people talk about, well, we need to put money into schooling and education. It doesn't. It just goes back into Democratic fucking campaigns. It's all a slush fund. Planned Parenthood. Slush fund. BLM. Slush fund. You donate to get it back. Then unsurprisingly with what you're seeing in your streets, American pride in young America, among young Americans at an all-time low. For the past 20 years, Americans have reported a steady decrease in pride in their country, particularly among young people. According to the most recent Gallup poll on the matter, the likeliness of young adults saying they are extremely proud of their country has reached record low. These lows come amid economic uncertainty, coronavirus, and riots. <laughs> For young adults ranging from 18 to 29... 20% are proud. This is a decrease of 23% in three years. Young Americans' pride is significantly lower than that of older Americans, with the rate of a proud American more than doubling for Americans between the age 30 to 49. For Americans 50 to 64, the percentage who said they are very proud of America is 48. 65 and older, 53. Because they built this fucking shit. The kids are shitting on it. University of Oregon condemns unacceptable statue vandalism, but bows anyway. One university has suggested that decisions about campus monuments should be made by the college community and not through acts of vandalism. On Saturday, two historic statues were forced to be removed from the pedestals on the campus of my duckies. The act took place following a rally coordinated by Liberation Collective, although the Eugene Weekly reports that the perpetrators have not been identified, nor were they affiliated with any group because it was probably a white supremacist somewhere in Eugene. That probably doesn't exist. When the event concluded, activists used mallets and crowbars to topple Pioneer Father and Pioneer Mother statues. Additionally, they tore plaques off the pedestal of Pioneer Mother and dragged Pioneer Father to the building which the Office of University President Michael Schell is located. Same evening, the university issued a statement. While we support peaceful protest and vigorous expression of ideas, we do not condone act of vandalism. Our country, state, and campus are coming to terms with historic and pervasive racism. We're on your side. Don't burn down our fucking college. <laughs> They're gonna do it. You know, if you can't get any more fucking liberal than Eugene. Dartmouth College imposes cancel culture on iconic historic weather vane. 
because weather vanes are racist. What? Dartmouth has agreed to student demands to remove the weather vane from a library tower on campus. The time has come to take down the weather vane that symbolizes the degradation and annihilation of Native Americans by white colonists. Reads a petition started by Dartmouth alumnus David Vincent. He doesn't even go to school. He's an alumnus. A character of a young male native being educated by a white schoolmaster. The Native American is smoking a pipe of tobacco while the white man has a keg of rum. The white schoolmaster, Vincent describes as Elsinore Weacock, the founder of Dartmouth, who's shown in the weather vane as giving a lecture to a Native American student. The depiction is a sad reference to applied alcoholism and drug addiction played in stealing Native lands. That's exactly what they were going for in that statue. You were so right. Hey, hey, Jim. They want us to make a, a weather vane for, you know, uh, Eliezer Wheelcock. You know, she used to give all those classes. It, let, yeah, let's just put a keg, a keg of rum and a, a pipe in the dude's mouth so we can make a joke about how the stupid Indians are all drunk and drug addicts. Yeah, that's exactly, fucking exactly what the artist was thinking. Union leader Dharma said on Monday they will replace a decade-old copper weather vane affixed to a library tower, signing its offensive depiction of Native Americans. The weather vane depicts the college founder. Yeah. Ivy League professor on college police killing response, propaganda, and indoctrination. Brown University professor of social scientist Glenn Laurie wrote a letter objecting to the college response to confronting racial injustice. Brown's letter, in response to a recent situation among them, George Floyd's death, to speak about confronting anti-black racism and racial injustice. The letter talks about how America has structures of power, deep-rooted histories of oppression, as well as prejudice, outright bigotry, and hate that directly and personally affect the lives of millions of people in this nation every minute of every hour instead of writing about ideas that everyone can agree to the university used it social justice warrior pandemic language Lori writes that the university has put forth the truths that racial domination and white supremacy define our nation experience even now Lori claims the university didn't account for the different opinions but instead proceeded to interpret contentious current events through a single lens Letter was nothing but propaganda. He questioned why the university didn't explain any of the ideas it presented, such as how Brown contributes to these systems of oppressions. See, it's once again, never enough. We want you to do A, B, and C. You do it. Fuck you. You didn't do D, E, and F. And then it just goes on to get to Z, and then you go back to double A. That's just how, how we are, man. Which brings us to the end. We're going to do our This is America. But before, I, I fucking just, just fucking love this guy. What the fuck is his name? <laughs> I love him so much. He's the greatest. I can't remember his fucking name. I do him. I, I, I do him. Well, that didn't come out right. Um, I use his tweets all the time. Where the fuck is his name? Did I edit it out? 
Drew Holden, there we go. Drew Holden just does, he, it's where I tried to come up with that lame shot chaser last podcast. Um, and he did one on COVID over this Trump rally that is just classic. But I would be remiss if I didn't play our media, summing how trying to justify that if you go to a Trump rally, that's town amount to spreading, you know, you're just going out there with the gigantic bazooka of fucking COVID, just hosing people down. But going to a George Floyd burning riot is not spreading it because racism and shit. So here's our media, and then we're going to go through all the media and their spin all the while saying, we're real news, Mr. President. Rally time, the worst thing you could do in the middle of this pandemic. Trump is defying CDC guidelines. Trump is pretending the coronavirus has disappeared. What did it feel like to be marching arm in arm there with the police chief? A celebration there, carnival-like atmosphere. There's a guy who has a sign that says free hugs. Music, people are hugging. People showing up to his his precious rallies might get sick. I mean, they're, they're acknowledging they might get sick and die. Is that a smart move to have a rally during a pandemic? This is going to be a breeding ground for coronavirus. We need to stop that. We need to ban political rallies. It's a beautiful moment where people can get together. Beautiful moment. Very touching and extraordinary. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. I love you. A moment of respect and love. President Trump is still planning to hold a large campaign rallies with thousands of people packed, as he said, shoulder to shoulder. It's unclear exactly how he can even return to these large events given the pandemic tens of thousands showed up for a march in floyd's honor a massive crowd and i mean massive tens of thousands of protesters thousands and thousands up to two hundred thousand people public health experts are warning about the risks of gathering in crowds like the president's rally health officials said the president's rally will pose a risk social justice over social distancing we understand that to some extent this week more than a thousand physicians and healthcare professionals signed a letter Supporting the demonstrators. A political rally like checks every box of risk. Stop it. Just just stay home, people. Stay home. Stay in the streets. Uh, continue to protest. Continue to have your voices be heard. They are such fucking hypocrites. But it just gets worse. I mean, they bring up this just one picture. This is from MSM. Trump rally in Tulsa could spread virus. New York Times. New York Times again. Tulsa braces for Trump rally. Forbes, coronavirus cases skyrocket in Tulsa. They've Juneteenth this fucking thing. They've Tulsa rioted this thing. They've gone black life. Black people are the only people dying of this virus. In fact, this virus was invented just to kill black people, and white people are immune to it. We haven't got that far. The roots come close. But it was spurred by Abigail Marone. And then Drew Holland got into it. Hers is interesting take, CNN Chiron. Crowds swell, crowds swell in D.C. in what could be the biggest day of protest ever. But at 2.37 p.m., that was at 4 p.m., Trump moves ahead with indoor rally despite science. These things like can say science. I mean, these are the people that say there is no male and female. That gender is a construct. 
I mean, I don't know anybody that can look at the media right now and go, I trust the media. I don't know who those people are. They've had no intellectual honesty to break down that no, black people are not killed more than white people. No, cops are not running around beating black people. They're actually doing the opposite. No, the Ferguson fact's a lie, even though it's factually true. No, 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 these protests are not safe. No, what the cop did in Atlanta was not a crime. As we'll see, they've actually set up to burn Atlanta down. Because there's no way. Well, we'll get to it on Earth. This is America. Kyle, Gordon fan, 1492. Then why are there no MLB games, no crowds at golf events, no crowds at NASCAR, all outdoors? There's no winning an argument against liberals who argue himself in a circle without even knowing it. And then... Drew Holden, NPR's hypocrisy knows no bounds. Even in a pandemic, WHO believes that public protests are important because racism and shit. Same day, Trump to restart political rallies this month despite coronavirus pandemic. His tweets, he starts his tweet, then I don't really read what he's saying. Wonder why there's so much outrage about Trump's decision to restart the campaign, but not the global protests during a pandemic? I have an idea. It's because the media left can only muster outrage about gatherings they don't agree with. To kick things off, New York Times for the rally, it's a dangerous health risk that could become disastrous because of the coronavirus. Somehow the daily protests nationwide seem to be immune. Can you spot the difference? On any given day, protesters spill out onto the streets. They march, they kneel, they sing, they cry, they pray, they light candles. George Floyd's death has sparked protests across all 50 states. This is how the movement spread. Same day, Tulsa officials are pleading with Trump to cancel a rally planned for Saturday, warning it could could worsen a spike in Oklahoma's virtues for virus cases and become a disastrous super spreader event. A super spreader! That's where I got the bazooka. We're super spreading. Do you notice how they never say President Trump? They just say Trump. That was racist under Obama. They're not alone, he says. Tons of media push the same two-track narrative. Here's MSDNC, I mean MSNBC. Trump is supposedly taking an unacceptable risk. Tulsa County Commissioner Karen Keith says it's not the right time for President Trump to hold a rally. We've had a whole lot of folks who aren't coming in from areas. We don't know if they're from a hot spot. We've had a spike. Do you know who's coming in also? Buses of African-American and white Antifa to protest it. BLM's going to be there. This is going to be violent. They should have gone with that. If Trump comes here, our city's going to burn. Because those crazy fucking fascist liberals are coming. Same day, MSDNC, Laverne Cox. What was so beautiful about the demonstration that happened in Brooklyn yesterday, Los Angeles, and all of the countries that protests for black trans lives was in conjunction with the Black Lives Matter protest. That's a dude that's supposed to be a girl. Rachel Maddow, exactly. The army shouldn't be turned on peaceful protesters, period. Another article, Pence said money the cases of virus that have dropped precipitously and that the state had flattened the curve. But data by the New York Times says that's a lie because we cooked the books again. NPR wasn't done. They got more. Remember, we pay for this. 
Despite new coronavirus cases surging in Oklahoma, President Trump is holding an indoor rally. I have to be part of this because these are my people getting killed every day, said Wade Cook. At a march in Georgia, this is in my, this is in my control and it's my control to stop it! From the AP, an extraordinary 19,000 seat Tulsa, Oklahoma next week poses risk as virus cases rise in the region. Same day, protests over black injustice have spread deep into largely white small towns and counties. Trump easily won across Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Now the president faces a test of whether he can hold that key voting block. He continues. The AP, the same folks who think militant annexing several blocks of Seattle is festive and has a carnival-like atmosphere. ABC, as President Trump pushes ahead an upcoming rally in Oklahoma, multiple health, health experts told ABC News they fear the event could supercharge the spread. So he was super spreading his hosing people. Same day. Thousands gather in front of Brooklyn Museum for Trans Lives Matter. <laughs> CNN really put on a clinic on this one. Here's their main account. A group of Tulsa lawyers have filed a lawsuit to stop Trump from hosting a rally. Same day, the slain rapper and actor's career only lasted five years, but some of his music contains lyrics that seem to echo themes now being discussed in BLM protests. Their politics account, lawyers sue to stop President Trump, and then, of course, Tapper, Costa, every one of them retweeted that same fucking shit. Same day, people go to protest to be heard, reflections on the 60s of today, and analysis... AC 360, with the president rallying Tulsa now just days away, you don't even need a BS detector to know the administration is not playing it straight on COVID-19. But we are witnessing a failure of presidential leadership at a time of the country when we, the people, need it more than ever on Trump pledging to send active military troops to U.S. city to dominate the demonstrations. Acosta, Oklahoma Health Department, suggests Trump rally goers seek out coronavirus testing both before and after. The fortress-like fencing around the White House has become a gallery of protest signs, including one that reminds us the media is not the enemy. USA Today, asked on Fox and Friends about holding Trump Tulsa rally, Pence said, you raise a good point. Same day, Thousands of demonstrators gather in Hollywood, California to protest racism! HuffPost! I'm not even reading it. You know HuffPost is down with the cause. Amy Skinkend, a journalist! A fucking journalist! I expect the first one, because they're all liberal journalists. There's just no way Trump's Tulsa rally happened on, as scheduled. Okay, daily cases ramped up 185% in two weeks, and Tulsa's getting hit. It's just not happening as it is. If Trump had any competent people around him, we wouldn't even be discussing it. What a mess. The day prior, is that right? Oh, no, week prior. Getting ready to march 
with my daughter in her first protest, and she's holding a BLM sign. That's a journalist, and she's white. Lawrence Tribe, what Trump, what? Trump worry about other people? Why start now? Let me see the dates on this. Same day. Our democracy hangs in the balance is not an overstatement. Join the peaceful protests. Help make the pressure irresistible. Organize politically and above all, vote this November in person or by mail. But let nothing stop you from voting. By the way, Washington, D.C., Washington, Oregon, and California are just going to mail ballots. So you can guarantee all those votes are going to be stuffed with liberal votes. Bernie Sanders, you know he did it. Bill Crystal, President Donald Trump is coming to town this week for a campaign rally. We don't know why he chose Tulsa, but we can't see any way that this visit's good for our city. Same day, Mike Mullen, Trump laid bare his disdain for the rights of peaceful protests in the country. Now, it literally looks like you have laid bare your, you don't want any non-prog protests. You disparage every one of them. Walsh Freedom. Rashawn Brooks should not have been shot. Trump's Tulsa rally will get people killed. And Thomas Jefferson is not Jefferson Davis. Same day. Americans are still protesting 80 days later peacefully. Peacefully. Yeah, no, they're not. All over the country. Good. The protesters will lead to change. And they're driving Trump crazy. The media paused its pandemic to push for these protests. Here's a study. Early days, January 17th to March, nightly average talk, uh, TV takes on coronavirus. 11 minutes or 20% of the newscast. Crisis coverage, March 9th to May 28th, 48 minutes or 88% of the broadcast. Protest hiatus, 10 minutes. Is all they ever talked about Corona. Post-protest, 20 minutes, but it's all about Trump's fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's our media, man. That's our media. Simultaneously, because I, I couldn't even fucking get these in, because I got them late. This is an actual article, and it's not on Corona, but it just goes so well with it, because this is the party of science, and I just air-quoted Climate change will affect gender ratio among newborns, scientists said. They did a study that actually says as the earth gets hotter, less or more boys will be birthed because male sperm swim faster or some shit. Literally. Literally. That, that's what they're saying now. Cow farts and more boys. Science. <clears throat> and then this gem from, uh, who the fuck did I get this from? Oh, it doesn't matter. I follow him on Twitter. It's really funny. This is an article from a fucking PC mag. And it pretty much sums up the stupidity we're living in right now. It's an article about how to make your own router and hack it to make it better. 
There are other factors, but the big difference here is the CPU at the heart of your router. My $250 Netgear R8000 Wi-Fi processor made in 2014 has a dual-core one gigabyte processor. Gigahertz, I'm sorry. My new router is powered by a vastly more powerful CPU, a quad-core Intel i5-6500 running at 3.2 gigahertz. It's absolutely overkill, but that's what I was going for. Also, I would like to point out that directing traffic is just one of the many public service police officers should probably not perform, which is why we should defund the police and redistribute the colossal budgets back into the community. Yeah, that, that's an article about a router. But once again, they're scared. They don't want their shit burned down, man. We can't have our shit burned down. Come on! No burning down the shit! Jesus freaking Christ. So, we're going to play one of my sisters. This is really good. Uh, big Sis got me these uh, sound bites, sent them to me, and I wanted to play them before I go into This Is America, because This Is America is serious, and, and this stuff is just really, 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 really funny. Um, let me see, which ones were they? I think it's a big sis. I screwed up when I put them in here. I know the first one. I'm just going to play both these. One of them is a college student literally getting crushed saying that the Constitution is racist. And the other one is people getting baptized where Floyd died and they've made him a saint. And then we'll go straight into... This is America. So you believe that the Constitution is the best document in political history? I Greatest think? political document ever. There you go. Thank you. Um, I, I want to know how is it possible to believe that when it's based on racist principles? They describe uh, indigenous peoples as merciless Indian savages. Uh, they don't describe African Americans as full people. And they don't even recognize other people people of color and other uh, minority, minorities that we see today. So I just want to know how you think it's possible to believe that's such a great document. We're Thank you for upon. the question. Where does it say that in the document? No, no, Keeper. Where, where does it say that in the document? I'm sorry, what? Where does it say what you said in the actual document? Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure. It but doesn't. No, no. Uh, it, Instead, you know what it does say? Provide for the general welfare of all people. I, I preface when I talked about the United States Constitution, you know what's amazing is the amendment process. I love the story of Thaddeus Stevens, who fought like hell to make sure that blacks could have the right to vote. I, I, love, I love the story of the Republican Party which was founded in 1860 as an anti-slavery party. I, I hate what happened to indigenous people under Democrat presidents. 
do. Here's why it's the greatest document ever. It's because in a land with so many different backgrounds and languages and cultures in this room, from all over the world, we can peacefully have a conversation while all that's protected simultaneously. While we can agree to disagree, we can have this conversation. What you said is nowhere in the founding documents at all. What you said is what some of the prejudices that was in the people of the founding fathers. This is called a logical fallacy. Tell me why the document is not correct. Don't tell me the sins of the authors. It's a big difference. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. And charged with aggravated assault of uh, Ms. Pilgrim. And this is for pointing a taser at Mrs. Uh, Pilgrim. And uh, as many of you all know under Georgia law, a taser is considered as a deadly weapon under Georgia law. And all that happened, Chief, Chief Ramsey, you have a phenomenon now in a number of police departments and a number of communities where, where you have police officers who are resigning uh, in, right. in numbers in the midst of this. And, and I wonder if you were still commanding the police departments in, in Philadelphia or New York, how would you explain to your officers that this is not targeting police officers in general, it is targeting certain bad behaviors that lead to bad and sometimes deadly outcomes. How, how would you get that message across? Well, I mean, listen, obviously you'd be, you know, visiting roll calls and so forth, but that's a hard sell because, unfortunately, there's really not a whole lot of balance that's taking place in terms of the reporting, in terms of, of the demonstrators. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, we need demonstrations. I mean, there needs to be police reform, but in the... I think one of the uh, consequences of what's going on right now, police are being demonized to a large extent. That's the good cops that really are looking at this saying, you know, why am I bothering? Why am I doing this? So I think we need to find that balance and encourage the good police officers to continue doing what they do, but also help work to, to get rid of those officers that should not be police officers. So we need to find a little better balance because right now morale is really, um, you know, way down and understandably so. Chief, we hear you. I mean, and that's a really unfortunate byproduct of all of this. Obviously, I mean, I know you're saying that you blame the reporting in part, and I hear you. I mean, you know, we report on the extremes. We report on the things that are outside the norm. We report on the deadly encounters. Not all of, I mean, on New Day, we also report on, you know, at the end of our show, the good stuff and good things that police do all the time. But I understand why that's being eclipsed right yeah. now by these deadly encounters. And so what's the answer? 
Well, I mean, just wherever you can find balance, find a balance. St. Cloud, Minnesota, the other day, a police officer was shot by an 18-year-old black youth. That The kid was not injured. In Philadelphia last August, five police officers shot by an individual who was taken into custody without injury. I mean, there's been a lot of examples out there where police have used a tremendous amount of restraint. And all I'm saying is that if there's balance there, then maybe we can start to get that message across to the men and women. Because right now, every time you turn on the television, all you're saying are the bad shootings, the use of force, and so forth. Not that that's not important. It is important, and it's flat-out wrong. But without balance, it does affect morale, and you're going to get some of these young cops that will say, listen, I can find some other line of work. I don't need this, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to remember the first soundbite. That is the DA who, once again, is a challenge DA. He he didn't win his primary. He's up for a re-election, and... This was political. It was forced by the Democrat establishment to charge this officer. But he, the DA, had just two weeks ago said, under Georgia law, taser's a deadly weapon. Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard announced that former Atlanta police officer Garrett Rolfe would face 11 charges in connection with the deadly shooting of Rashard Brooks, including felony murder, which could get him life in prison or the death penalty. Rolf's attorney will certainly argue that Rolf fired in self-defense as Brooks is a scuffle with Rolf, and another officer managed to grab the officer's taser and run off. He's been on surveillance video from Wendy's turning around at one point and pointing something at the officer, presumably the taser. Whether or not that justifies Rolf firing at Brooks will be decided in court, but as Greg Price notes, just a couple weeks ago, Howard was explaining to the press that a taser is considered a deadly weapon in Georgia, but during his presser today, he said that at no time did Brooks pose a threat. Understand, Rolf had a concussion from the fight. The fights all the media showed, they did not show their surveillance. They were scared. They get burned down again at CNN. Greg Price, just two weeks ago, the same DA in Rashawn Brooks' case, charged officers with aggravated assault for using a taser on a protester. A taser is considered a deadly weapon under Georgia law. Here's a video. A taser is considered a deadly weapon under Georgia law. Ian Michael Chongs, two weeks ago, the same guy said a taser is considered a deadly weapon under Georgia law. Matt Nuts, now I get it. A taser is a deadly weapon in a cop's hand, but when a fleeing suspect points it at a cop, it's no biggie. Atlanta police should all resign in protest. Oh, we're going to get to it in a second. He just gave the case away. Exhibit 8, ladies and gentlemen, of the jury. This case should be dismissed immediately. Last week, tasers were deadly weapons, but now they're not. Good luck with your re-election campaign. That's why he did it. So then if a taser is considered a deadly weapon and the perps, these are all replies, turns it on a cop, then the cop is justified in defending himself and shouldn't be charged with felony murder, right? Another reply, this is a... ...have that officer home with his family, along with a pocket full of money. Good for the officer's family, but it's going to cause major anger, more violence, more hate, and more division that nobody wants, except for maybe the media, who won't even report this correctly. None of it's being reported. None of it. They won't even talk. They won't bring people on CNN that disagree. 
Carpe Dunkum, fall asleep in a drive-thru, fail sobriety test, fight with cops, steal taser, run from cops, shoot taser, get shot. MSM, why do the police keep killing innocent, unarmed black men? This is why we can't have a discussion. You lie. Blaine Alexander, DA had decided to issue warrants in Rashawn Brooks' case, says one officer kicked Brooks as he laid on the ground. The other stood on Mr. Brooks' shoulder while he was struggling for his life. Charges. Former officer Garrett Rawl faced 11 charges. DA says should bring the death penalty without parole or death penalty. Penalty for life or death penalty. This photo shows Rolf kicking Richard Brooks as he lays dying on the ground. There's actually a fucking video showing him nudging him. Are you okay? They instantly ran out. There are lies on CNN by all the race hustlers that they didn't do any CPR, they didn't do anything, they just let him die. Yet there's video that they won't show of them instantly running back to the car within two minutes performing first aid. That doesn't make the air, though. Why would they? Devin Bronson has now become a state witness. Officer Bronson, now in administrative duty, is facing three charges, aggravated assault, and two counts of oath violation. Replies, they're charging the cop with murder. Are you fucking serious? Complaining now that a second officer used his knee to try to restrain a fighting suspect was bad. Are they charging him too? Yes. Replies. You can fight with a cop and steal his taser after you busted for being drunk behind the wheel. But don't you dare go to the playground with the kids during a pandemic. The point is, if a white person did any of this, none of this would be acceptable. That's the point. We're getting into two different laws. Just like the college test, they want two different laws. And you can call me a racist for saying that. I don't give a fuck. It has nothing to do with race. You're making it about race. You're saying that a black man can do everything he did and a cop can do nothing but just let him run away. Which goes back to change the law. Change the fucking law. Lady North, a black lady. Huh? Never present himself as a threat? That feels like a pretty egregious attempt to rewrite history of what actually happened. They're doing this on purpose. They know he will get acquitted, but they want to keep the fire going. That's the point. The left always rewrites history. Brandon Morse, let me tell you what this guy just set up. When these officers are cleared of all charges, this delusional DA is put on them. There will be retaliation in the street by people who believe the delusion that this guy is selling. Irresponsible and inexcusable. This is hands up, don't shoot all over again. David Marcus, after the Atlanta DA press conference, I can't blame cops if they simply stop arresting people. If the state is so willing to throw them under the bus, they should not put their lives in danger. Video, body cam footage, officer who shot Brooks begs him to stay alive. Mr. Brooks, keep breathing. Keep breathing for me. Uh, They're not showing that. And I had it wrong earlier. Officer Rolf's stepmother was hired or fired 
former HR, HR, okay, let's speak English. Officer Rolf's stepmother was fired from her HR job at Equity Prime Mortgage in Atlanta. She was told, we have to terminate our relationship with you. So we're punishing relatives now. This is not America. This is definitely not Georgia. This person lived in Georgia, and it is America. 2013, 2016, 2018. Articles like this from the New York Times. Tasers pose risk to heart, a study warns. Because they use this argument when cops tase. Because once again, this is the crowd that believe a fucking suspect can beat the living fuck out of a cop. They're just supposed to take a dirt nap and let them go because they're black. And black people have a hard life because racism and slavery 400 fucking years ago. Well, it's not 400 years, 200, what what the fuck is it? We stopped it in 65, so that takes us 35, 155 years ago. With the 1619 Project. Remember, that's where we get all our shit now. So, my second soundbite was, well, cops are being excoriated in the news. Nobody's showing that in a protest, a cop saved a woman's life. A BLM protester, African American, ran to the cop. The very person she says should be defunded, shouldn't have a job, is murdering black people. She's there saying, fry him like fucking bacon, and brings her baby, and he gets an obstructed audience uh, um, object out of her throat. Now, once again, we've had nothing but contempt for people bringing kids to protests that are conservative. But here's a lady, kill them fucking cops with their baby with her. Yeah. We're not showing any of that. We're not showing positive stuff. No. I have driven up to every cop, walked up to every cop I've seen and said, thank you for what you do. And the problem is when I drive past them like at a Kroger parking lot two days ago, the guy tents the fuck up because of our opening. There's violence everywhere. In that BLM violence, there was numerous cops getting the fucking shit kicked out of them. Security guards. There's been violence everywhere. Media's not going to show it. So we get to, uh, what the fuck day? Today's Friday. It was Wednesday night. Michael Crump. It appears the purge begins in Atlanta. Police officers for zone three, four, five, and six have walked off the job. Mike Saranovich, after mass walkouts amongst members of the Atlanta Police Department, the mayor began requesting assistance from mutual aid jurisdictions. Officers from these jurisdictions are refusing to respond to any other than one for an officer down. The dude. I live in Atlanta, a white male. The police are gone, and I'm terrified. I don't fear for me. I fear that I will die defending my life, my wife. I will lay down my life to protect her in my own country that I fought for. This is sick. Pray for Atlanta. Detective Blue Line. 
As of right now, all zones, 1 through 6 in Atlanta PD, are not answering calls. Sheriff's Office said no to Mayor. GSP is only handling crashes. Correction officers from jail are being forced to answer 911 calls. Mayor is freaking out. Steve Deuce just got an email from Atlanta police officer. Atlanta police officer refusing to answer the radio and walking off the job. The country can go screw themselves. If you want a society without police, we'll give you one. Let it burn. Rob O'Donnell, my contacts in Atlanta Police Department. There's a reason why I'm doing this. Informed me that members of Evening Shift 4, Zone 4, walked off by uh, uh, shortly followed by Zone 3 and 6. The good members of Atlanta Police will not stand for the DA's activism in place of applying the law. Sean Gable, CBS 46, breaking. Sources confirm Atlanta police officers in Zone 6 have walked out. Sources say they drove back to the precinct, turned in their keys, and went home. Officers in Zone 3 are allegedly doing the same. Johnny Jones, text from APD officer. I can confirm the walk-off is real. Whole shifts have left and overnight shifts are refusing to come in. And they won't be the last. 99% of EOs are good people who uphold their oath and do a thankless job. Why would they continue to do it if they're receiving even more hate while being shamed and smeared for the actions of a few bad apples? I mean, would you do the job? And then a million people saying, good, good, good. This Brooks guy was on probation for four crimes, including cruelty to children and facing going back to prison and charged with DUI when he was found asleep and intoxicated at the Wendy's. That's why he fucking went bonkers. He was going to go back to jail. He was a career thug. I said it. White people are thugs. Black people are thugs. Martians who break crime are thugs or break laws. So what happened when this was happening, you ask? Most Ricky Tick, Chris Cuomo got the Atlanta mayor to come on and lie and say the officers need to live up to their oath. Well, you know, Chris, across the country, morale is down with police departments, and I think ours is down tenfold. This has been a very tough few weeks in Atlanta, and with the tragedy of Mr. Brooks, and then on top of that, the excessive force uh, charges that were brought against the officers involved with the college students, uh, there's a lot happening in our city, and our police officers are receiving the brunt of it, quite frankly. Um, but what I will say is this, is uh, my administration's had a great working relationship with our officers. In fact, our officers were given a historic pay raise by our administration, and it was so our officers wouldn't have to work three jobs and be fatigued so that they could afford to live in the city of Atlanta so that they would not be resentful about policing our streets so that we could have the best to choose from um, okay. on our okay. force. And so what I would say is in the same way our administration's made that commitment to our officers, we expect that our officers will keep their commitment to our communities. Do you think that the charges 
uh, that came down today against Officer Rolf warrant this kind of potential revolt by police officers? No, I don't. I don't. Everything in this country has changed. I think what is surprising to many is the swiftness of the charges in the same way it was surprising with the uh, college students two weeks ago, simply because it, we don't normally get charges this quickly from our district attorney in cases like this. But that being said, everything in this country has changed. And in light of what we saw with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and now Rayshard Brooks, uh, we should expect that things will be different. And in bringing charges and, and even taking actions to fire police officers in a much more swift fashion, uh, that, that's likely to be our new normal. So the speed of the charges uh, doesn't bother you. Uh, you see it as a sign of positive change. What about the substance of the charges against Rolf? Uh, one of the, the charges could amount to a potential death penalty case. Well, we have an independently elected district attorney in our city. What I would say, though, as it relates to the swiftness of these charges, I just want to see the same swiftness as it relates to the other use of force cases that are sitting on the district attorney's desk. We have um, at least two other cases involving officer-involved shootings, and we have not gotten outcomes on those cases. So I just think we want to see it across the board. And, you know, I'll defer to the district attorney on what the appropriate charges were. There was information that even I learned today um, in watching his press conference in terms of the other officer and the allegations made against the other officer, and even uh, that there was another vehicle hit uh, um, during all of this. So I'm getting a lot of information at the same time as the public is getting that, and we'll review it and, and continue to make our decisions accordingly. Uh, three quick things. One, uh, what you were just saying about wanting action on the other cases. Uh, is some politics being played here in terms of this case being dealt with swiftly and with a heavy hand uh, because it's in the news? Do you believe the prosecutors or, you know, there are politicians too. Are they playing to the politics here? Well, I know our district attorney is involved in a runoff, so I, I won't speak to that. I think there is a, a bit of a difference in the other cases in that there's not body cam video available. And I believe I heard him say today that's the reason that he's not taking action on those other cases. But the point is that we still have some other families uh, awaiting some finality and some outcomes mm. on those cases. You heard about GBI, and, right, uh, Mayor? Not, not, obviously, you know a lot more about all this than we do. But uh, they were surprised by the swiftness of charges here. Uh, and there's reporting that they felt they hadn't been in the loop. Well, that's between the district attorney and the GBI. Chris, I have more than to deal with than I can say grace over right now. So uh, I'll leave that up to them okay. to figure that part out. Uh, assuming it's true and the video bears it out, uh, we've seen a freeze frame, but uh, prosecutors put it forth as an allegation today uh, that Officer Rolf uh, said, I got him. Officer Rolf uh, allegedly kicked Richard Brooks. Uh, and that they didn't render aid right away, and that Officer Brosnan, that his charges stem largely from him standing on Mr. Brooks' shoulder after he was shot. Your reaction? Chris, everything about this case is disturbing to me. From watching the more than 30-minute interaction between Mr. Brooks and the officers, um, to see it in this way, is I, I don't even have the words to describe how disturbing it was because what struck me is that he was not humanized in that moment. It, there were so many other things that could have happened. This could have turned out 
so differently. And then I, I watched Anderson Cooper um, just before coming on with you and to see Mr. Brooks tell his story about being incarcerated. Uh, my dad went to prison when I was eight. I counted each and every day waiting for him to come home and to think that he was simply trying to get to his daughter's eighth birthday celebration because he said that uh, when he spoke of what he had planned and why he just wanted to walk to his sister's house. It's just, it's tragic. And, and it, you know, I go between anger and frustration and just sheer sadness because for everything that we're doing in Atlanta to try and get it right, when something like this happens shows that there is a deeper systemic problem that we have. And and even if we get it right tomorrow, it still didn't bring Mr. Brooks back home to his family. True. And when you talk about systemic issues, uh, you have one going on right now. I mean, do you have your hands around how many officers are involved in this not calling in or calling out sick, this apparent revolt? Uh, in response to these charges, the department put out that tweet I read earlier for the audience saying that they think they have enough resources. Um, but how many officers are we talking about? Do you know? Well, we don't have a, a, a count yet because we were in the midst of a shift change. But what I do know is that we do have enough officers to cover us through the night. And um, our, our streets won't be any less safe because of the number of officers who've called out. But it's it's just my hope, again, that our officers will remember the commitment that they made when when they held up their hand and, and they were sworn in as police officers. Right. But there's strength the in numbers, as we both know. That's why I'm asking you, Mayor, if we're talking about six, ten, you know, uh, people who are particularly passionate about what they think uh, the job is about and how it's being perceived in this prosecution is one thing. If it's dozens, you have a different scale of problem on your hand. We do, but the good thing is that we are not the only agency in Atlanta. We have other partners across the metropolitan area, including um, assistance from the state and from the county and from, from other jurisdictions. So we will be fine. The, the thing that I'm most concerned about is how we repair the morale in our police department and how do we ensure that our communities are safe as they interact with our police officers. So what do you do? Do you reach out to the union? Um, what, what are you doing to deal with this kind? I and mean, this is an unusual thing to hear about. I know it's all unusual. I know we're living through unusual times. But if you have any scale of officers not wanting to report to duty, uh, that is a novel problem to have. Have you reached out to the union? And what are the different avenues of access to heal? I've not spoken directly to the union today, but I'm sure that we will be in contact with them. I've been in contact with our interim police chief. And, and listen, there's no playbook for what we are dealing with right now across this country. And so what I do know is that we have a lot of men and women who work for our police department, who care about this city, and they work each and every day with integrity and, and with honest interactions with our communities. And so those are the people who I expect will show up for work. And if we have officers um, um, who, who don't want bad officers weeded out of the force, then, then that's a, another conversation that we need to have with all of our officers. Because when we're talking about fixing what's wrong with our police department and what's happening in our communities is just as much for the protection of our communities as it is for our police officers. Absolutely. Don't think for a second 
They were actually not doing that so they could get these guys convicted. Because they're not stupid. They know this isn't going to stick. And that he let her lie and say it's not political is a fucking joke. And yes, Mayor, things are different. We now live in a society that the media is not going to show anything legal, anything negative towards the agenda and narrative. Here is a black cop talking to an L.A. councilman and literally saying, we're going to vote you the fuck out, followed by Tucker. We now have two laws. Yeah, you bought, you, you bowed down to black lives pandering. Yeah, you bought, you, you bowed down to black lives matter. These police officers that are out here protecting this city, that protected it from being on fire, if it wasn't for them, this city would be burnt down right now. Tucker Carlson tonight. If you've been paying attention recently, and you probably have, you've likely sensed that something profound is happening to this country right now, something that could transform what America is. You can feel it happening. Our leaders deny it. Officials on both sides reassured us they're not planning wholesale changes to the country. They're just trying to fix specific problems. A man was brutalized by police officers in Minneapolis. Another man was shot to death in the parking lot of Wendy's. Those things were bad, they're telling us. And abuses like that are what they are fighting against. They say we need new laws, more good faith, more attention to injustice. And that sounds right to most Americans. Americans are decent people. They want to do the right thing. Certainly Republicans in Congress appear to believe all of this, or maybe they're just so scared they pretend they believe it. Either way, just yesterday, the GOP leadership enthusiastically backed a law enforcement reform bill. They're proud of that. They seem to think that reigning in the police will fix the underlying problems. And pretty soon we can all get back to living in 2014 again. Republicans appear to believe this is a policy debate. But Democrats know better than that. They don't lie to themselves. They understand there is a revolution in progress. The death of George Floyd may have sparked widespread outrage, sincere outrage, and they may share that outrage. But they also know that what is happening now has very little to do with George Floyd or people like him. Like all revolutions, the point is to destroy the current system and replace it with something new. But replace it with what? 
That's the question the rest of us should be asking right now. We should know what's coming. We know what we have now. Our current system has been in place for hundreds of years. It's based on a very simple idea. All people are created by God with equal moral value, period. Every one of them. For that reason, and that reason alone, all Americans are treated equally under the laws of the United States. In this country, we judge you for what you do, not how you were born. That idea has been the defining principle of America since the 18th century. It's the main reason we are the fairest society in the world. It's the reason people move here. To the extent America has failed to live up to that principle of equality, we are ashamed of it. We should be. Equality is the most important thing we have. We should defend it. We should practice it. Now, for the first time in our history, we're witnessing a broad and powerful attack on the principle of equality. Daily, we are told that all people are not, in fact, created equal. Some were born with moral stain. Others were not. Some Americans are guilty. Some are innocent. Nothing can change this because it was all determined at birth. All we can do is respond accordingly. People in favored groups must be held to one standard. Those in disfavored groups, the morally tainted ones, must be held to another standard. The country retains one set of laws, mostly for the sake of formality, but we must apply those laws in very different ways, according to the DNA and the background of the accused. If that sounds familiar, it's because this kind of system we just described, a system based on heredity and blood guilt, has been very common in history. It was the rule in feudal Europe, for example, and in the totalitarian regimes on that continent more recently. It's still in practice in parts of the world. In North Korea, children are sent to prison camps for the sins of their ancestors. And unfortunately, we have seen it here, too. You may have wondered how politicians could have justified practices as perverse as slavery and Jim Crow in a country with a constitution like ours. And the answer is simple, by arguing that not all people are created equal. Some had lesser moral value from birth. That's what they said. Those people carried the stain of sin with them. You were allowed to treat them differently based on who they were. At the time, many understood that this was a lie. Slavery persisted for hundreds of years, but there were always some in authority who considered it evil. Not evil simply because it was abusive, which of course it was, but because the existence of it violated the central principle of this country. And they were right. Where are those people now? Look around. Is anyone empowered defending absolute equality under the law? If there was ever a time to remind America that we all have equal value under God, that time is right now. But no, no one in charge is saying that. Our leaders are cowards when we need them to be brave. They are muddled when we need them to think clearly. It's possible they no longer even believe in equality. Forty years ago, this was a middle-class country. And as a result, America had strongly egalitarian values. Pretty much everyone used commercial airports and ate at McDonald's. Do you remember that? People talked without irony about their rights as citizens and taxpayers. You couldn't pay extra to jump to the head of the line at Disney World. The idea that someone like Jeffrey Epstein could beat a sex charge because he was rich would have shocked us then. We would have demanded an investigation into just how Jeffrey Epstein died. Why? Because Americans hated corruption. They saw corruption as an offense against equality. That was 40 years ago. Things have been moving in the opposite direction ever since. We now accept uncritically the claim that some people deserve better treatment based on how they were born, and some deserve worse. This is the most poisonous and the most destructive of all ideas. Other nations understand that. Rwanda has made it a crime to make ethnic appeals during elections to practice identity politics because they know very well where that leads. 
Yet identity politics is accelerating here. It shouldn't surprise you that most of the people pushing this poison are benefiting from it. They're using the recent chaos to codify dangerous trends already in progress, a permanently unequal society where some citizens are elevated and others are crushed. Winners and losers preordained by law. That's the country they're working toward. At the same time, and this is always the tell, they lecture you with maximum self-righteousness about how they're doing precisely the opposite of that. What they're really doing, they claim, is upholding equality under the law. No one is above the law. Nobody is above the law. No one is above the law. No one is above the law. No one's above the law. No one is above the law. That no person is above the law. Nobody should be above the law. Nobody should be above the law. No one is above the law. No one is above the law, they scold. Meaning, you aren't. You are not above their laws. You must obey those laws to the letter or you will face certain punishment. Others, meanwhile, get a pass or an entirely separate set of laws. Revolutionaries don't acknowledge universal standards. Increasingly, they admit this out loud. They're not pretending anymore. In California, Democrats are moving to repeal Proposition 209. 209 explicitly bans racial discrimination in hiring and education. In other words, Democrats in California are now fighting for discrimination. This is not considered strange in 2020. No one even mentions it. A couple of weeks ago, Governor Andy Bashir of Kentucky announced plans to bring universal health insurance to his state. But not for all citizens, just for people with the right skin color. Everyone else would pay, but only certain ethnic groups would benefit. Andy Bashir is still in office tonight. No one has tried to impeach him for suggesting this, because ideas like this are everywhere now. They're totally unchallenged. This is the most divisive possible way to run a country. If you wanted to make certain that your children would hate each other, you would hold them to different standards. And they certainly would. There is a reason that racial tension is rising in this country. It's by design. But race is not the only dividing line. The coronavirus lockdowns have nothing to do with race, with white or black, thank God. They're probably the only thing in America right now that doesn't. Quarantines are instead scientific. They're purely a matter of public health. That's what they told us, and we believe them. We sat passively as they destroyed our country's economy, as they indicted Americans for trying to make a living. And then the Black Lives Matter riots started, and we learned that it was all fake. The very same officials who threatened us with arrest for going outside urged their own voters to flood the streets. And they did, and no one was punished. How could this happen? It was such a flagrant double standard, not even hidden, right in your face. They didn't try to explain it. They didn't bother to justify it. Why? Anyone familiar with totalitarian regimes can tell you exactly why and what's going on. This is ritual humiliation. Forcing people to accept mistreatment is a time-tested way to subdue them. Of course we're not treating you fairly, they're telling us. You don't deserve fairness. You deserve what you get. That's the message. And after a while, the population accepts this. Some believe it. They blame themselves. That's the goal. But we should never accept it. The promise of absolute equality under the law is all we have. Laws are designed to protect the weak, not the strong. At the moment, the people leading this revolution against our system are strong. That's why they're trying to subvert our laws. If they succeed, there will be nothing to protect the rest of us in this country. We cannot let them do that. In the United States of America, all of us are equal under the law. Period. Say that as loud as you can. 
He's totally true. We have two sets of laws. That's what they've always wanted. They do it in college already. I mean, the media is so all in. This is a headline from CBS. Deputies kill half-brother of black man found hanged in park. Then you find out a half-brother of black man found hanged in a Southern California park was killed by the Sheriff's Department deputies Wednesday. They say he opened fire on them. Shots were fired shortly at 4.30 p.m. in Kern County community of Roseman, just north of Los Angeles border. It's 80 miles north of downtown L.A. Detectives with the Sheriff's Major Crime Unit were tracking a man who was wanted for kidnapping, spousal assault, assault with deadly weapon. But when they tried to stop his car, he opened the door and began shooting. The man was identified as Taryn Jamal Boone by an attorney representing the family of Robert Fuller, a 24-year-old man who was found hanging from a tree in Palmdale. The death was a suicide. But for clickbait and because we want to push that all cops are bad, oh no, they shot a guy who was lynched. The half-brother of a guy who got lynched. That's exactly what they were shooting for with that headline. Caleb Hull. The half-brother of a black man found hanging in Southern California Park was killed. Why didn't you say after he opened fire on them? They don't even hide it anymore. Maybe they're going out of their way to prove Trump right that most networks are indeed fake. This isn't The Onion or even HuffPo. This is frickin' CBS. The same desk Dan Rather worked at. Oh, wait a minute. There it is. Somebody else. America. This BS goes way beyond yelling fire in a theater. It's burning the theater down. I thought they were in charge of flagging misleading content. Yo, CBS, you might want to add the title of the man in a gun and shot first. Chris Saliza this week. A band, Cal Perry, finds these kids singing a song. I'm not, I'm not going to play it. He tweeted, so this exists. And they mock him. All these journalists, the news media figures, celebrities, and other verified Twitter users have mocked the Trump fan band, dumbing them the whitest thing you've ever seen. The Brad and the Karenettes, Taylor Not So Swift, Future Ventilation Patients, American KKK, No Talent, Blissful Entitled Morons. That's the media. Because, hey, everything they've ever wanted to do is good to go now. But the saddest thing is this story, and it's what I wanted to end on. FBI tracks down white woman who set cop car alight by tracing custom t-shirts she wore at a Philly demonstration to Etsy, which led them to her LinkedIn and Poshmark accounts, Elizabeth Bloomfeld, 33, faces two counts of felony arson for her role in setting ablaze two Philadelphia Police Department vehicles on May 30th. Black Lives Matter protests and other peaceful demonstrations convening the city to protest the killing of George Floyd. Photos and videos taken at the scene show a woman using a burning piece of wood from a police barricade and throwing it onto two video. Throwing it on the vehicles. Two videos, Bloomfield face, faces up in, in two videos. They wrote. 
in prison if convicted, following up, followed by three years of supervised release. She faces a fine of five hundred thousand dollars. FBI agents use Instagram photos from various photographers to identify the word on the woman's shirt. Keep the immigrants deport the racist. The FBI agent explained in his affidavit, agents discovered that the shirt was custom made and sold on Esty. The FBI then named Laura Elizabeth on Poshmark. Agents then looked up Laura Elizabeth Philadelphia and found a LinkedIn page for a woman who worked as a massage therapist for a company in Philadelphia. Authorities then used videos from company's Vimeo account to identify tattoos that matched Blumenthal to the woman at the protest. Authorities found a phone number on the website and then used to identify the woman's address and DMV photo. While this occurred, Etsy provided purchasing records following a subpoena and then confirmed that she purchased a shirt. Subpoena also revealed that the items were sent to Lords Elizabeth in Philadelphia. Agents discovered the shirt was custom-made and sold on Etsy. She is a beautiful young lady. Later on, instead of leaving local authorities to deal with the case, the techniques utilized by the FBI are going to be scrutinized during the course of my pre-tell investigation of this case, he said. That's what the prosecutor said. Because most of these people are going to get away with it. They're not going to hold them accountable for what they did. Because this was a good cause. Yeah, you murdered somebody, but it was a good cause. You burned down this business, but it was a good cause. And Chris Cuomo proves my point on the Twitter. He saw it trending. He brought her on quickly to dis, just tamp it down. It's not real. It's not a problem. Democrats didn't do anything wrong here. Nothing to see. Move along. And then he lets them convict them in the court of public opinion. There are two ways this could go. The law which absolves him of anything, definitely not murder, maybe manslaughter, if you get an all-black jury, <clears throat> who will have no choice. They're not going to vote because they're racist, they're going to vote because they don't want their house burned the fuck down. Or he's going to be absolved of the case, which is going to turn into more riots. Or we have the two laws. If we have two laws and this guy serves time for shooting a guy who gave him a concussion, well, you know what? We won't have law enforcement in Atlanta anymore. I mean, the simple fact that they won't show all the videos and show that they did render first aid. There have been three, four people came on TV and said, you're lying, Chris Cuomo. You're lying, Don Lemon. You're lying, CNN. They're lying. 
They're pushing just one side. And they can see the videos. They can see the surveillance. They can see the body cam. They released it. And if you caught in that video, the worst part is the GBI hadn't even finished their investigation. Because the DA knew the investigation was going to find it justified. Justified. You can't beat the fuck out of cops, steal their taser, and shoot it at them. We can't live in a society that does that, regardless of 400 years of oppression, regardless of 165 years or 145 years in slavery, regardless of all of this. You can't do that. Every adult living person, black, Latino, gay, straight, if they seriously ask themselves, do we want to live in that society? They go, no. And all these Democrats, as you see, they all are down with the cause until it shows up on their doorstep. And their house gets fucked up. Their wife gets beat the fuck down. I mean, I'm literally going to trade in one of my ARs and get a shotgun. Because that's the only thing I don't have. I have an AR, a 9mm and a 45. I'm going to get a shotgun with slug so I can shoot through some fucking doors. I'm not going to do that with the 5.56, but it won't be as accurate. And as stated on this podcast numerous times, it takes a couple bullets to take somebody down 5.56. I'm getting me a tactical shotgun. I'm going to go in the backyard and practice chopping down a couple old dead trees. And that fucker's going to be next to my bed. Because it is happening. We are going to lose police left and right. And you're not going to be able to recruit people anymore. The worst part about this is all these model cities that have brought in African Americans to work with African Americans. Well, now they're not going to be able to get those cops. Because their families are going to go, no, 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 no. It was already hard enough for an African American youth to go become a cop with black families who are raised by the media and the race hustlers from birth to hate cops. But I never thought in a million years we'd be part in the country where every cop is a demon. White kids believe it. Thanks. Created ISIS... You created BLM, and you created Antifa, and you got exactly what you wanted, a destroyed country. And mark my words, if in November Democrats take control of everything, we are fucked. That's not hyperbole, that's not politics, that's reality. They will defund the police. They will cut down police forces across the country. They will take your fucking guns. They'll make it so hard just to get fucking ammo. They will manufacturers so we won't have gun manufacturers. And they're going to make it so hard to get a gun, you won't be able to get one. Even if you're a model citizen, you're fucked. They're going to remove borders. They're not going to do anything with immigration because they don't see it as a 
a bad thing for America. They see it as a future voter. And you will live in a world of two laws. It'll be great for the black dude dressing as a girl. But do you want to live in a society that has equality, where everybody's graded the same way, where everybody has an equal chance? I really don't want to be represented by a guy who couldn't pass the bar. But he he's a lawyer because he's black. And I damn sure don't want a social worker on my doorstep after somebody broke in my house and stole my shit. Because if a motherfucker steps on my porch and says, well, you're coming from a place of privilege. You don't deserve to have a refrigerator because you're white. I will end up in jail. An ass whooping will ensue. We've had these cases before and people have spun out and got crazy. This is the craziest shit ever. We're celebrating a holiday nobody fucking knows about. Every business is playing BLM now. And an organization based on killing cops and frying them as bacon, accompanied by an organization who wants anarchy and is burning cities down, are cool. But people who wanted to do a lockdown a month ago and didn't want to be locked down they're horrible my wife flipped CNN the other day they're still talking about the white supremacists are more dangerous to America where even the fuckers in Charlottesville they fucked up some tiki torches but nothing went bad until Anifos showed the fuck up and the media once again when I covered it They didn't cover the videos. They didn't cover the conversations about throwing bricks. They just covered one guy who freaked the fuck out. And that's how they run this. They get one incident. They lie about it. They make it truth. His mom don't have no job. He's living in hiding. He got his ass kicked by a career criminal who was driving drunk. And they still, nobody on CNN corrects the guests saying, why are you just going to pull somebody over and fuck with them? The guy was asleep in a drive-thru. He was so drunk, he fell asleep. At the end of the day, you can take out Elmer Fudd's gun. You can take every reference. There's still going to be shitheads committing crime. And if you want to live in a society where they can do whatever the fuck they want because of their skin color, you're no different than the fucking white supremacists you keep yapping about that nobody sees or knows. You're the same thing. You're not talking about their character. You're talking about their color. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at Gmail. Show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, Tudor Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down, and Pocket Cast. Check out the 
Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Our next podcast is going to be the 24th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. Until then, as always, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Thank you for listening. Take care of your family. Keep your head on a swivel. And starting next week, I'll be doing my show and going in public in a back the blue shirt. If you don't say all the protesters are bad because of the people that are rioting and looting, if you don't say all Muslims are bad when they're blowing the fucking shit up in ISIS and Al-Qaeda, well, that applies for cops also, you fucking jackapples. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count. Thank you.